guess you ain't from around here, yeah I guess you ain't from around here, yeah Look at what we did in the past year, yeah A lot of green like a pasture A lot of busted like a pastor Yeah, enjoy it while I'm still here I've been on the up and disappeared like the rapture No mad raps in the cheap short I'm just shopping in my Sears I ain't no soothsayer Just a truth seeker, boo tweaker Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker just make a meal while I'm getting meeker. Do I sound clear? Can you hear the soothing timbre in your ear? Look at what we did in the past year. Yeah, look at what we did. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Ebbs and Flow. That's Esoteric Bible Study for Love of Wisdom. I'm Daddy Naki Dan. Uh, we got two co-hosts on the show tonight. Uh, we got Joshua the Branch returning. Finally, we've been missing him in action. So what's up, Joshua? How you doing, buddy? It is a pleasure to be here. I have kind of taken a hiatus, or you could say a sabbatical. <laughs> yes. Yes. And uh, thank you all for uh, joining in fellowship. It's exciting to uh, have this opportunity. I really marvel sometimes at the ability to uh, see what technology can do, you know, as much evil as it might be able to cause, look at the good it can do as well. So, I mean, I'm in West Virginia. I don't know where you guys are, but you know, uh, when nomads on there, he's in Hawaii. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I just think it's cool that we can have fellowship like that because it's really hard these days to find people in your local community that you can talk about this stuff with. And yeah, I think these are really interesting times we live in. So it's good to kind of get get that perspective and share. Agreed. Agreed. And also joining us today again, back and returning, PK. What's up, PK? What's up, everyone? Uh, glad to be back, ready for some Genesis chapter 11. And um, I'm down here in the Florida panhandle, um, where it's nice and hot and the bugs are uh, flying around like crazy. Um, but to your point, Joshua, with the whole uh, technology thing, I think it also just opens up other doors uh, to, um, you know, maybe thinking about the Bible in, in a different way. Um, I've been, like I was saying last time, kind of uh, big into this uh, uh, looking at the Bible with a Kabbalistic slash alchemical uh, eye, if you will. Uh, so. I know there's many different ways to look at it, and um, I'm kind of digging this one. It's been really uh, fun for me, so looking forward to it. Excellent. And missing in action tonight is Nomad. He is nomading around, and Morgan uh, is at an Incubus concert with Coheed and Cambria like she's still in high school. So... Hope they're having fun, but we are going to have some fun. Let's get into the Bible. The Bible. We uh, left off last time at Genesis chapter 10. So we are on Genesis chapter 11. And Genesis chapter 11, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation uh, because. We were talking about, I was re-listening to our episode with uh, 
Gary Wayne and we were bringing up King James. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to go off the King James version a bit and, and go with a different one uh, because I like the one that Nomad was using because it gave names for each god as like and place. It gave the actual location instead of like the old name, you know? So I wanted to try to do that again uh, because and like we'll read in this one, it says Babylonia, and then King James it says Shinar. So I like I like that it says Babylonia because we all know where Babylonia is, and Shinar is a little bit a little bit different. Uh, so here's Genesis eleven, New Living Translation. I'm gonna read through the Tower of Babel, and then we can do commentary on that, and then I'll read the whole rest of it all together because uh, I think they're kind of a couple separate things. But uh, here we go. The Tower of Babel, one, uh, verse one. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found the plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. And then we'll stop there, because next it goes into the line of descent from Shem to Abraham, or Abram. So let's get into some tower of babel that was that was very different than the kjv what (laughs) what verse did you end at i ended at nine nine was the last one i read at nine okay you want to do the kjv version uh no i mean no i was just looking at i i didn't know i don't know i guess I i don't honestly i don't read the bible all that much and but just to see kind of you read that while I'm like my eyes are on the KJV, uh, yeah. I was pretty surprised at how, how, uh, very more modern was more know? modern, very, yeah. very modern and yeah. famous. Famous is a weird, I don't know. I just feel like that's a weird word to use. You're <laughs> like, we're famous. Yeah. What? Because they built the tower so big, like, <laughs> they're gonna have fame now i mean think about it though like look at the pyramids how big the pyramids are has brought a lot of fame to egypt that's true yeah. that's true joshua what uh, just curious um what's your your bible of choice uh english do you have one um i actually really enjoy using the interlinear on bible hub because it compares the hebrew to english oh. 
So it's easy to understand because, of course, it's in English and it's fairly close to the KJV, I think, because, of course, that's what they tried to do was translate from the Hebrew and Greek. Um, so it's roughly similar. But what I like about it is that it's broken up in such a way with the Hebrew that you can kind of learn Hebrew, too, which uh. I've been trying to do. So um, I think although some of these other uh, texts are written to be more easily understood, I, I think for some students, it's good to have the actual text because uh, one of the subtleties about the Old Testament in particular this may not be such a, uh, a thing with the New Testament, but with the Old Testament in particular, numerology is a big thing. You mentioned something about the Kabbalah earlier. Um, and so each letter is purposefully used. There's no extra letters. There's no every jot and tittle, as Christ said, right? Every jot and tittle um, will be fulfilled before heaven and earth pass away. So I think it's we get hidden clues whenever we use the actual text that was native. And so, for instance, a good example of that would be with the word famous you mentioned. Um, so the word there is actually sem, S-E-M. Um, but what's interesting about that is shem means name and fame. Um, but in this uh, Hebrew text here, we actually get Strong's Hebrew 8035. Um, actually, I can share that for you. So you what, what verse What okay. verse is the one where? There you go. Go ahead, sir. I can hear you. I was making sure I was unmuted. What verse is the that fame? In? um it looks like it might be like give me a moment here four yeah it looks like verse four and make for ourselves uh a sem a name and uh with All right, okay. the subtlety here is with the shin character so if the shin is accented on the left it's going to be pronounced without the H. And so it would be sem. Um, another example of this is shin and sin. The word sin that we get is missing the mark, the word of God or a commandment. But uh, what's really hidden in that is that if you accent this, the shin character on the right, it's pronounced sh shin. On the left, however, it's just sin. Um, so we see that same type of mechanic at play here with Sem and Shem. So it would almost denote like Sem would be infamy rather than fame, um, whereas Shem would be fame. Um, so I think this kind of gets to the concept, too, of Ha-Satan versus Ha-Shem. In the Jewish Orthodox traditions, they refer to God as Ha-Shem oftentimes which is the name but also the fame and many times in the bible there will be stories for example in joshua the book of joshua uh, rahab had heard stories about yahweh and so she was saved through her belief and his fame 
she wanted to share in his fame and be protected by him. So when they do something like this with the Tower of Babel, for instance, they're they're in opposition to Hashem, the name, which is where we get the term Hasatan or the adversary. So basically, if you're not serving God and you're trying to create a name for yourself, this would be an example of the left-hand path or the sem in this case, the S-E-M, uh, an infamy rather than a fame. So these characters we read about in the text, when they're not being cast in a negative light anyway, they are sharing in the inheritance, but also in the fame of the name, which is the essence of Hashem. And of course, Shem, I think, is a name that will pop up again here later in the same chapter. And that's one of Noah's sons who was the first to build an altar, I think, after the flood. So he was more or less the first priest after the flood as well. Um, so I think it's very interesting that of all the brothers, it just happens to be the one named Shem. <laughs> and uh, so I think we should always remember that when we're reading these stories, you know, we can become a, that's kind of what it means. Like when it, you're added to the Lamb's Book of Life in Revelation, for instance, those who go through the tribulation and survive that are part of like a story that would, that's going to be added to the Bible, for instance. And so we'll share in that the fame of the name and have our names added to the book. So all these people have went through that same experience. So I think Shem and Sem is a really loaded thing right here. And so it shows that at the time there was one language and one unified effort here, uh, meaning that, hey, Sem and Shem, like they would know the difference in that, I think. So they're like, hey, well, we it puts context into it. Saying Shinar as well. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, I didn't realize it was Babylonia when you guys mentioned that earlier. Because I read Shinar and I was like, I wonder where that's at exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, with this whole how what you're talking about with the Shim and, and yeah, it's uh, got an S H in it. Yeah, Shin. Yeah, you're just you're talking. I wonder, you know, taking that out and throwing Babylon, you know, Babylon in there. I wonder if uh, the authors were kind of using exactly what you were just speaking to, to say something about that, that land of Shinar. I think so. And Babylonia may even refer to like a much larger region. And so Shinar might've been like a plain area within that territory, for instance, because a lot of times in those days, Sumer. Um, city states were a thing. And so like Shinar would have just ruled an, a large area, for instance. Um, so I think that's kind of what we see going on here. And I think that tradition, too, of cities kind of being this. I mean, cities have names, right? So each city has a shim <laughs> associated with it. Um, and that's very Adamic as well to, to name things and categorize them, etc. So um, it's very much in the tradition of nomenclature i guess you could say but, but there's a lot of meaning in a name that's why i really like to uh ask people what their name is and and, and you maybe look it up right away you know because every time i meet somebody new I, I get to learn a new name and that really helped me when i was reading the bible too to see like all these names actually have a meaning so there's this 
like twilight language, so mm-hmm. to speak, in the Bible, where you know, if you really take a fine tooth, fine tooth comb through each verse, sometimes some of these words can have multiple meanings. So Shinar, when you look at it here in the text of the interlinear, even though it's spelled Shinar with an H, it's actually Sinon. It doesn't have the right accent Shin characteristic. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I didn't notice that till you brought it up. Um, I'll share that in the chat as well. Maybe we can bring those up on the screen. Yeah. Uh, that might be. Shinar is kind of synonymous with Sumer. It says uh, Southern Mesopotamia, but also it's a variant or cognate of Sumer. And Sumer means like the land of the shining ones or shining land. So Shinar, Shiner, Shine, Shine Bright. Uh, So it has that same type of uh, motif to it of something shining or bright or like fire. Um, also, PK was showing me earlier uh, um, that Glorian website where it was breaking down mm-hmm. the things, and it was talking about Shin and Shine and uh, uh, all those things. And how yeah, yeah, this is saying uh, about the land of Shinar uh, is is Babel, and then it's saying that it's the it's it's correlating uh so it's looking at this with the alchemical kabbalistic eyes and it's correlating shinar with the uh cerebral spinal nervous system uh where we find the head uh and the root of severance from god so i ah, i think that's, that's kind of interesting because right like fasting in a way they say is like uh you know you're basically like you know damaging your nervous system to have the, a, a, a spiritual <clears throat> i'm just talking about fasting for spiritual um not like healing because i know that's that's a thing too but say when you fast long enough you you uh in a, in a sense damage your nervous system as if to you know, bring on spiritual experiences or being closer to God. So I feel like that's definitely interesting that it's tying Shinar specifically, you know, to the cerebrospinal nervous system. Yeah. Very interesting. It also says here to yet remember that in the land of Shinar, uh, were also instituted the sacred College of Eden, in which sacred mysteries uh, that we're describing here were only taught to those who knew how to uh, destroy the Tower of Babel and uh, who knew how to build uh, inside themselves the right thing. And then again, it gets into the two paths, uh, just just as you were saying, Joshua. Yeah, I even noticed as you were reading that, that uh, apparently another name for Sumer is Sin. Um, And that, of course, was just what I was talking about with the Shin and Sin. That's the left and right hand Mm -hmm. path. Mm -hmm. So it would suggest that this whole... uh, So basically, the name of the place was just Shin. 
but left accented and then with an AR on the end. That's to me, that's quite profound, which again is why I really enjoy looking at the Hebrew because th that can be so easily missed otherwise, you know, because in what, uh, and the other one, they just call it Babylonia, right? So we miss that whole shin thing there. Um, so what, what I think this really emphasizes is a rebellion against Yahweh. Um, because what's interesting is that uh, also on that page you just had up, or the text portion rather, mm -hmm. uh, Asher was the son of Shem. Well, in both of those names we see in this age, not an S. So they, it would seem to me that the SH is the Hashem part that's in allegiance with Yahweh. And then anything would be S related. I mean, they could serve a number of different gods, but it's just basically like other, in other words. Um, so I think that's quite profound. Oh, and one more thing. You see here the name Joshua in the Hebrew Bible portion there at the bottom. Um, even though that's mentioned in a specific chapter, 721. The names there, though, you can see still has the SH in it. Well, what's really interesting about the name Joshua is that in Hebrew, it would be Yahshua, which is Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, that includes a shin. So it gets the SH sound in the name Yahweh. So it's Yod, Hey, Shin, Vav, Hey, or Yahshua, which means salvation. So did you see that the, the Shem and Asher thing, Christ, his name was actually more like Yahshua, I think, because he was Hebrew or Israelite. He wasn't actually Greek. Jesus is a Greek version of his name. Uh -huh. Which again, because it doesn't have the H in it, we lose that secret of the Shin. Um, so maybe it should have been something more like G Shush or yes. <laughs> if it had an SH, you see what I mean? Like so it almost makes it look like it's left-handed in Hebrew terms. But um but anyway, I, I just think that this is where they're trying to war with God. And uh or Yahweh in this case. And so they're, you know, basically trying to build this tower high so that the flood can't wipe them out. Cause you know, they had, they're uh, dealing with that kind of thing. Oh wait, had the flood happened yet? I can't remember. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, cause we're talking about Shem and Noah, but all these people are here. So I wasn't sure <laughs> if it had happened yet. Okay. Yeah. So the, it was like a trauma response after the flood to build this tower and be like, Hey, we're not going to let him do this again. And uh, we'll build a tower so that this won't be a problem anymore. Of course, he had already promised he wouldn't do it again. But the next time it would be fire. Of course, they didn't know that. But, so that's one of the motivations, I think, behind building the tower. It wasn't just to make a name for themselves, but to also keep them from dying again. Because otherwise, you know, Noah had to have an ark. This could be a possible alternative to that. We don't really know how high the water got exactly, but it did get really, really, really high. Oh, and then do you ever, do you ever look at this stuff on uh, a more micro level? Like, yeah, it's a story about you know, group of people after a flood building some tower, going against God, or whatever. But uh, just curious, do you ever? Uh, 
try to look at it in the eyes of like, you know, what story is this possibly, is this possibly telling us a lesson, you know, or, uh, of maybe not a people, but of like my, myself in a way, um, yeah. kind of where I'm going with that <clears throat> is thinking about, um, you know, building a tower or whatever is like you're, you're focused very much in a physical thing um, that, that I don't know that maybe, um, you know, you've, you've got your priority, your priorities aren't perhaps in the right place. You're a little unbalanced. You're focusing on building a tower to the heavens. Yeah. Materialism. There you go. Um, so yeah, I think it's cool to look at these verses in uh different ways like that. Well, so I'm gonna keep an eye on it for uh um also I I just to people included a photo in the Zoom chat there. The tower tarot card, I think, is basically showing what the scene we're seeing here, where uh mm-hmm. the tower is built exceedingly high. And it's pomp and circumstance, you know, you got like the crown even on top of the tower in the card. And there we see the bolt of lightning, which is um, issued forth from the heavens and strikes the top of the tower. And then the emperor and hierophant uh, come tumbling down. (laughs) So church and state had united in a sense uh, to war with God. Yeah, there we go. And I like that version there, too even though that's more popular, the A.E. Wade, I really like that one. But the one right beside it is one of my favorites of it. The one with the... The old school tower? Like the castle? Yeah, that one right there. I I really like this one because it includes like some glyphs and things that... uh, I think there's even a Hebrew aleph there. So it it adds a little more symbolism and understanding to it. Um, And you see the eye there which is oftentimes associated with the eye of God. Um, And so he's raining down judgment and hellfire and (laughs) brimstone and thunderbolts. And I actually have a really cool story I can share really fast. I had a dream several years ago. This is what started me on the whole path of Shem, by the way. Um, So in the dream, I was handed what is called a Vajra, although at the time I wasn't really familiar with it. And, um, it was just a hand handing me the Vajra. And when it did, when this happened, I heard the word spoken, Shem, as it placed the Vajra in my hand. And it wasn't until much later, of course, that I've you know, unpacked all of this and began to understand um, more about Shem, but also more precisely about the Vajra, because it's known as a thunderbolt. So Shem itself is associated with the thunderbolt because this all happened when i started feeling really close to god (laughs) and so he gave me a thunderbolt um and that's exactly what destroys the tower it's 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 like a judgment it's a weapon in other words now what's interesting about the one i was handed though in the dream it didn't have the open-ended forks like we see the anunnaki wielding oftentimes Mm -hmm. when they got the vajra um the one I was handed in the dream actually had its tines bent inward 
and that's uh, the story with that is that Indra had the forked Bajra and that Buddha bent the tines inward, um, took it from Indra and bent them inward. So turned it from an instrument of war into an instrument of peace. And I just thought that was very interesting. Uh, but still yet, it translates as diamond and or thunderbolt. So I just, uh, oh, and the Hindus also, I just learned this last week. <laughs> um, the Hindus have something called Vajra Yani, or excuse me, Vajra Pani, which means hand of God or indestructible hand of God. And so when we see the ace card, there's ace, there's four suits with an ace and playing cards, but there's also four aces and tarot. And in every case, it's a hand, the hand of God coming out of the clouds and handing something like a pentacle, a wand, a sword, or a cup. Well, what I think is really cool about that is I suspect whoever illustrated that had a similar experience to what I had when I dreamed about the hand handing me a Vajra. So the hand of God will sometimes appear, which is in Hindu is Pani, and it'll give you something, a blessing perhaps. But what I think is interesting is God usually only manifests with one body part. It'll be just an eye, just the mouth, just the hand, uh, just his heel perhaps. Some part of him will manifest, but never like the whole thing, it seems. So I just think that's really quite a provocative it's it's just been provocative to image experience yeah. that kind of so organically um yeah i want to get into this uh section here because I, this seems like a very i don't know this doesn't seem very godlike to me uh but i guess when when you talked about it how they didn't want him to like they're trying to overcome god by building this tower to try to escape his wrath type of thing like, ah, oh, we built the tower, so now you try to flood us again, you can't do nothing. But it, it says, like, he came down to look at the city, the tower, and the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out uh, to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. It seems almost like he's, like sending angels down or whatnot to confuse the languages it just seems very uh spiteful or jealous of of like humans it seems like he's trying to govern humans and in, in that way of not letting them get too too big do you think maybe there's like just like their god thought that they're not ready for this type of understanding or knowledge it seems like they're able to figure it out and build it. And because they spoke the same language, that's how they were able to do this because they could unite as one. And so it seemed like he wanted them to be separated. It just seems very, uh, doesn't seem omnipotent, I guess you could say. Um, Would you like to go first, PK? Uh, no, go ahead. So PK was actually talking about how this can apply to us. Right. Well, I think what we're seeing here is the sin of pride. 
And this mm-hmm. God hates that more than anything else. Um, a lot of other flaws are forgivable in many cases, but pride is seems to be the one thing he really doesn't like whatsoever. In fact, that was Lucifer's only sin, apparently, was pride. Um, so he, you know, he cast out his most powerful and beautiful angel for that alone. Um, and what was his sin? Thinking that he could be God. So I think what mm-hmm. we're seeing here is very much the same fruit, as it were. Um, and if we, well, fruit from what tree? Well, think about it. The tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. The top of the tree is referred to as the crown, just like in the tower card. What's on top of the tower? A crown. What's mm-hmm. the top of our head? A crown. So Kabbalah is Kether. Yeah, exactly. Or in this quillapot, by contrast, is uh, the bottom. You know? hmm. So I think it's, it's like the deadly head wound of the Antichrist is this. So we're going to see a one world government type scenario where everybody's speaking the same language and everything again. And humans are going to once again war with God and say, hey, we don't uh, want him to destroy us again. So now we're going to, you know, strike back at God. And um, that's what causes the second, like, divine intervention, so to speak. So the flood had just occurred at this time, except the second destruction is going to be with fire. So what could that imply? Well, we know that it's a one world government, which is characterized as Babylon, um, which we see here, Babylonia, Babel, right? <laughs> Um, and so humans are going to build this one world government type structure once again with the intention of warring with God or trying to prevent their destruction, which is very interesting because part of that plan involves mixing their seed with ours because they think that if they can do that, God won't destroy them again because mm-hmm. he'll not want to risk killing all of his people, right? So he always preserves a remnant of his people. So I think part of the, you know, what agenda um, that we just went through is part of that because, you know, that was an attempt to mix the seed, which we see that in Daniel. Uh, It talks about the one world government type scenario there too, but it characterizes it a little differently. Um, We see it in one context as a giant tree that's cut down who you know deceive the nations it's likened to lucifer for instance so there again the tree symbolism the fruit thereof um another interpretation in that same uh, daniel context is the tower with the golden head very much representing pride or thinking one can be god i think or a crown silver chest bronze belly iron legs and then the feet mired with clay and iron mixed together so it's partly strong partly brittle but what's so important again with the translations this matters so much because i've uh seen translations that didn't talk about this where the verse right after that talks about how they were going to try to mix the seed during that time with the ten toes of clay and iron and so what we're seeing right here is basically that so this another attempt to, you know, become God themselves or to war with God, but also this time the plan includes 
a mixing of the seed. And what I think is so interesting about that is that's exactly why God flooded the earth, apparently, was because all the flesh had become corrupt. And so to correct that, he, you know, so you mentioned how the omnipotence or whatever. Well, I think the flood itself is kind of a maybe a, a, a better example of what the point you were trying to make. Like if he knew that was going to happen, then why create us in the first place, I guess, is the logical conclusion. But I think that we were an experiment, so to speak, because you got to remember, he put his own spirit in us. And so maybe it clouded things a little bit like, you know, we weren't intended to ever behave any differently than Adam, <clears throat> but yet we did fall. So it's like the Keter became the Quillipot version of the crown. Um, and so, you know, it was like chaos in a sense. <laughs> so yeah, very hard to predict what humans are going to do. Of course, we're very dangerous and violent, et cetera. So I think, you know, it, it warns against making a God of ourselves. You know, nowadays that's the really popular philosophy is to people say they're God or whatever, or goddesses. And I think it's very risky because that is the head wound, I think, that is often referenced in prophecy. Pride goeth before destruction. Um, and so the haughtiness and pridefulness is this head wound, which I think might also reference Aries in some context as well, because Aries is associated with the head and is the first month. Mm -hmm. And of course, I don't like Thelema at all, but what I have researched about it, they seem to really celebrate April, like all their holidays in April. And uh, I think that's kind of interesting because it, it kind of emphasizes that head wound thing where they're like all saying they're gods and stuff and doing it all in April, so on and so forth. So I think, you know, that old axiom of looking at the fruit always trace it back to the root, always trace the fruit back. And eventually you're going to find where it originates. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here is that what we're seeing happen now worldwide, this, what it, this, this is it. Same fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that goes with what PK was saying too, kind of about like, if it, if you're building a tower to like, try to overachieve me to escape my wrath uh like you're you're not really looking at why i flooded the world in the first place which because you guys were not you know coming to me or, or worshiping me or uh you like behaving in a spiritual sense you're behaving in a materialistic sense of trying to get a tower built to overachieve me rather than like pay attention like look what just happened like and you're going back to the same stupid shit that you've been doing um so yeah I'm ready for um <clears throat> i want to read something to y'all kind of to look at this uh in a alchemical way i think this is interesting um so this is why is written in the book of Genesis that Nimrod, and then it says in parentheses, um, the personality. So it's calling Nimrod the personality was the builder of the Tower of Babel. Uh, yet now we understand that how Nimrod, the personality, is related to Cush, 
which he's calling uh, the desire. So Nimrod's personality, Cush's desire, uh, and to Canaan, which is the senses. I've also heard him call Canaan uh, just the physicality. Um, and Ham, the mind. So we got Nimrod, the personality, Cush, uh, is desires, Canaan is the senses, and Ham is the mind. <clears throat> so now, uh, then it goes on. So it does not matter um, in which brain your center of gravity is situated. Uh, the fact is that we all are following uh, psych psychological idols uh, within each, essentially. Uh, therefore, the entire society is in a confusion of tongues uh, since the everybody expresses through their mouths blah 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 basically it's, it's sort of just saying like the the whole human experience in and of itself is sort of like uh a tower of babel uh in a way it's it's confusion of the tongues just just the um not the tower of babel but it's a confusion of tongues just in this place that we're in uh if you look at it in a in a sort of alchemical lens uh, then it goes on to say um, <clears throat> that basically we have the three three brains, uh, and it's and it's also like the you know you've heard of the astral, the causal, and the mental bodies. Uh, well, this is the three three brains. You have the intellectual brain, the emotional brain, and the motor instinct instinctual sexual brain. Um, so it's sort of saying that those are the three brains um, they sort of at war with. But let me read this. Uh, it is Genesis 11, 5 through 7, um, which is what we were just reading, I believe. Yes. Uh, yes. Because 7 is the one where he said the different of the languages. Mm -hmm. So let me read this real quick. Uh, in Jack. Jachava, basically the Lord, uh, came down to see the psychological city and the tower, which is called the three brains, which is which the children of men builded. And Jachava said, Behold, the one uh the people is one. Uh and he's calling that a mess. So it's translating the one as as it's a mess. And they all have one language, uh, which they're calling confusion. And this uh, they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, uh, which they have imagined to do uh, more towers. Uh, go to let us go down with Da'ath, which Da'ath in the um, Kabbalistic tree is like right in the middle. Um, it's it's also associated with, with knowledge. Um, so let us go down uh, with the off and let them become aware uh, their how confound their language is uh, that they may comprehend why they do not understand one another's speech. Uh, so that was actually uh, probably more confusing reading it aloud <laughs> than me reading it. <laughs> But it, uh, what the point is, is just to throw another perspective on here. Uh, I thought it was interesting how he's saying that the people is one and their language is one. 
it's calling that like a mess and, and confusion, which normally we think of that completely opposite. So I'm not sure what that's quite all about, but uh, interesting, uh, different take on it. Yeah, I think uh, it, that plays into how the the tarot cards are able to operate, right? Because they're they're playing on that uh, like subconscious level and symbolism of of these things. Uh, that's why you can pull so much out from the tarot too, because it, it's alchemical in its in its form uh, as a tool to divinate. Um, these actions of life and mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh it, it plays into the psyche as well as like the physical so sometimes you can see the physical but also it plays into like the your innermost tower of your brain uh and your in your subconscious mind yeah um yeah i have a few things to mention but if you guys got more go ahead i'm good Oh, God. Um, one thing I wanted to note before we got too far off the tower part here is the European Union parliamentary building is actually fashioned to look like an unfinished tower, which is exactly what the tower <laughs> was. It never got finished. So if you can pull that up, What's I good? would think that it, comparing the two there would be a, a little enlightening perhaps um or excuse me the eu not the united nations basically yeah same. i've seen a picture of this <laughs> definitely recommend everyone to pull up a picture of this if you haven't seen it 60 meters it is quite six. like mm -hmm. exactly what people think the tower babble would be kind of yeah 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 it's almost unmistakable in fact, um, if that weren't bad enough, <laughs> uh, I can't remember exactly where this is at. I'd have that to looks like the Roman it Coliseum. The it might be the same location, but there's a woman riding a bull as well, which is the symbol for Europa or Europe. I'm pretty sure it's on the same grounds. But um, but anyway, you'll see the woman riding the beast, which is what it talks about in Revelation the whore Babylon rides upon the beast. Well, I think the beast is actually the bull. Um, so Europe itself is kind of the seat of a lot of this, uh, or the attitude, you know, that's, that's doing this in a sense too. So makes you really want to pay attention to what's going on with King George right now. And, mm -hmm. you know, the rebuilding of the third temple, for instance, <laughs> in Jerusalem and things like that. Um, and there's some good Bible verses that can go along with this as well. Um, so if you don't mind, I can read those. For yeah, now. go for it. Well, real, real quick before before you go off from that, uh, can I just add something about the whole uh, woman riding the bull and stuff, and even yeah, the tower? Sure. So like, I I used to I went I went through that phase a good bit where you know I thought there was a bunch of satanic people ruling the world and and everything and and i don't uh want to say that like i I think they're good people or anything of the sort but i do want to say that <clears throat> perhaps like uh i found a meaning of of the woman riding the bull right taming the beast is is sort of 
taking control of, of your uh being in control of your physical um desires you know so kind of living from uh your spirit forward instead of letting uh instead of just living uh as a beast does which a beast are only guided by their by their senses and fulfilling their senses so riding the beast uh since we are divine spirits in a uh in a beast essentially calling the human body a beast um being on top of it writing it controlling it is saying something else to me rather than something evil i think it can maybe even be a reference to venus because she is associated with uh may above taurus yeah so i mean in a lot of ways i think that's a plausible explanation but i did find the picture of what i was looking for it is in fact that same place i think and so it depicts uh a woman straddling a bull and there's also this other image here i found this is an image not a statue of the um woman riding the bull and then all those flags on the back of the bull represent all the various nations of europe uh europa is also a consort of zeus and in, in the story so the rape of europa is what it's otherwise known as so food for thought uh, it's kind of interesting did you have anything else before i read these verses uh I do just to uh, elaborate on what you're saying with Venus it says Venus rules over Taurus and Libra, meaning that it holds the most influence over these two signs It is most powerful while situated in its domicile position. Venus detriment a planet is said to be in detriment when it enters the Zodiac directly opposite the sign that it rules. So uh, it's one of the most physical and sensual placements. The romanticism and level of commitment to intimacy are unmatched. Being a fixed earth sign, this placement is also known uh, for. Uh, lost my page, but uh, um, governed by the planet of art and beauty, Venus in Taurus, people have heightened gifts of artistic expression. They find pleasure in seeing blah, blah, blah. This is more about that, but, uh, but yeah. So there is a connection to Venus and Taurus and astrologically. So there's also probably a connection to Venus and Taurus on, on the micro of brain level function, uh, you know, having control over your, uh, beastly desires. Uh, type of thing going on too and then the physical plane uh which is kind of what we're talking about here yep go for it joshua did you have anything else pk um no i go well so i guess also, too, one of your controls for for of your physicality. I mean, what? Let's not beat around the bush here. What specifically we're talking about? What the Bible says a lot, right? Is the whole this whole idea of of uh, chastity, of of virgins, of 
um, you know, where perhaps I shouldn't said virgins because I think that could mean something different. But what uh, what I'm talking about specifically is the use of of uh, abstaining from sex to, you know, somehow, uh, you know, combine your waters from above and your waters from below in your, you know, Jesus Christ heart center, um, you know, to kind of achieve union with god um kundalini so that beast could be also representing like you know you're you're controlling your your uh beastly sexual desires Mm -hmm. you have that under control and you're transmuting that i think that could be another uh interpretation but uh that's all thank you josh yeah i would say like yeah when it talks about like the chastity and stuff is is the reason uh even why like republicans or christians are i think uh kind of it it's a sex without intent to procreate is not what the attention is supposed to be it's supposed to be sex with intention to procreate to create more life and so that's why they're saying like not to just go out and just screw whatever you want wherever you want like it's a responsibility to procreate but it's also like a level of respect to do it in a way where you're doing it for an intention of procreation and not for the intention of pleasure Uh, i think that's more or less where that kind of sentiment is coming from but that's it yeah no absolutely and to just one more thing on top of that and to so you're having sex to procreate but also like timing it you're not just in the heat of passion right. you know being like oh i want to have kids and you go have kids i th- because then you could say oh why well, i having sex to procreate but i think mm-hmm. it too is also about the the divine like timing like there's something to this like you know old way of thought that it's like now let's wait until you know uh almost the full moon you know or whatever it may be to, when the venus is just right in taurus to then uh you know procreate to then have sex to have a kid uh so i think there's like that side of, of using it natural well. law yeah as an enhancement yeah yeah Go for it, Joshua. Okie dokie. Um, I have so many things to discuss. <laughs> Just trying to figure out where it all fits together. There's one more thing <laughs> to maybe add before I continue reading the verses, and that's that uh, this story also reminds me of something else we may have talked about in the past, uh, and that's about the... Um, uh, the this cloud city of Nippur, mm. which was endless, and so this what we're reading here could be they're looking down at them, right? So where are they looking down at them from? I've speculated that maybe this is Nippur, and that they're actually looking down on them because it says it's a plural, mm-hmm. you know, right? Yeah. So. God and his angels 
are looking down and seeing them build this tower. So it will, I don't think it was just simply to avoid the flood, but also to try and reach this cloud city where Enlil lived, which maybe Enlil's synonymous with Yahweh. I'm not real sure. I don't like to say that definitively because um, I would dare, no one to dare slander the Lord, but it does make sense is what I would like to say is that, um, and personally, I, I think that these, this particular topic helps. It actually makes my faith stronger to, to know that God is real, you know, and was here at one time, did destroy the earth, you know, like these things actually happen in my opinion, <laughs> or not really my opinion. I think factually it's there. So for me, it really adds a lot of realness, I think to it. Um, and, and really helps to kind of add a backdrop to what we're reading there. So I just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, is there anything there that's jumping out at you that you wanted to mention before I no, start reading? It's not a lot. Okay, one moment. I'm going to bring the tab up. Okay, so um, we we're talking about fruit and the fruit of pride. So I wanted to read this from Ezekiel 10. Or excuse me, Ezekiel 7, 10 through 11, so that it adds a little bit of context. Basically how Yahweh sees this type of thing, this, this type of behavior. Um, Behold the day which has lingered so long. It has come at last. The morning is gone forth. The day of destruction is already begun. The rod hath blossomed. As the same word, which signifies a tribe, signifies also a rod, the meaning of the sentence may be, the tribe of Judah hath flourished, or hath been prosperous. The consequence is mentioned in the following words, pride hath budded, her prosperity first filled her with pride, and that begat violence of all kinds of wickedness. Or the sense may be Nebuchadnezzar, the rod of God's anger or the rod of correction ordained for Judah is grown in power and pride and violence and cruelty and is thus prepared to punish the Jews whose pride and luxury and injustice and idolatry have exposed them to this instrument of divine vengeance. Violence is risen up into a rod of wickedness. Some render this violence is risen up against the rod of wickedness and understand it, uh, excuse me, and understand it of the violent impetus Chaldean army rising up against the tribe of Judah, here called the rod of wickedness, to cut it down. None of them shall remain. The Hebrew only expresses none of them. The word shall remain being supplied by our translators. Some versions read, none of them shall be free from evil. Neither shall there be wailing for them. The calamity shall be so general, families will be cut off so entirely, and they will be so stunned, as it were, with the greatness of their affliction, and so taken up in providing for their own safety, they, excuse me, that there would be no particular lamentation or wailing made for those who fall. So in other words, it's a sudden calamity that befalls them. So I feel like when God's judgment, when he finally decides to intervene, it's with such swiftness and devastating overwhelmingness 
that they can't just like it says here it's it's so <laughs> it's so uh concise and summed up here like oh they were scattered <laughs> well imagine going through that like i don't think it was just some like subtle thing that occurred i think it was quite a violent thing that occurred and because the tower was destroyed right so whatever they used to destroy it could have been a nuclear weapon uh thunderbolt like who knows what it was used but whatever it was stunned them so utterly that it confused their languages and dispersed them all over the earth i mean that's a that's a cataclysm if there ever was one in a sense. I mean, and this right on the heels of the flood. <laughs> so I just think that that's kind of interesting because one of the, uh, and before I continue with this next verse, I want to mention this. I think I dropped a link in the zoom chat for this. There is uh, just this week. I learned about the babble fish earbuds that came out. You can now live translate up to 40 languages and so what? this barrier of languages is being diminished as we speak and so think then um it's mit i think that's creating them so yeah there we go or it's excuse me the review was that mit so um so yeah i think it's kind of interesting it's like we're trying to remove the barriers that god placed there and so it all really lines up, I think, with um, the same spirit, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to remove the barriers that got put there. And all oh, this is even from 2020. Uh, I didn't realize it was a little older. So, yeah, think about how far ahead they are now in three years. So especially with this AI stuff cropping up now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little terrifying to think about. So we're probably going to get to witness something very similar to what they went through um, when this world government thing begins to form and they try to use one language, one currency, one religion, just like they did then. So it's, and that hasn't happened. I mean, there's been a lot of attempts within a country to do stuff like that, but not on the worldwide stage. Um, so I think that's food for thought. There's one more uh, excerpt here I want to read. Sorry, the screen went all crazy there for a moment. Okay, uh -huh. so this is, um, you mentioned um, there was some text there talking about restraining. I can't remember what the context was exactly, but the word restrain. Um, oh, nothing will restrain them. So it's when they're looking down at them, they're like, nothing will restrain them from doing whatever. Um, we see something similar in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. Um, I'm just going to read this commentary here. Students of biblical prophecy have differing views over the identity of the restrainer in 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 through 7. He is called, quote, the one who restrains in some translations. Other translations call him the one who holds back, he who letteth, or he who is keeping down. Whatever the restrainer is, he is someone of great power who is hindering the advance of the Antichrist and preventing the satanic kingdom from overwhelming the world. In his second epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul assured the church 
that they were not yet living in the day of the Lord, in other words, judgment day, that is the end times or judgment has not yet begun. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, which is actually the man of sin, the left accented shin, by the way. And the man doomed to destruction, according to God's timetable, the day of the Lord and the accompanying judgment will not start until two things happen. A global rebellion occurs and the Antichrist is revealed. Paul then mentions what is currently keeping the evil in check. And now you will know what is holding him back so that when he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. So the lawless one is this sin as opposed to shin or sem as opposed to shim. And it'll be just like Nimrod then was the world ruler that built the Tower of Babel, except this time we'll have the Antichrist as he's known at the head of the world. New, new world order, so to speak. Um, so it's basically the same spirit as Nimrod, the same spirit as Nebuchadnezzar, which Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting character to bring up within this context as well, because in, uh, I think it might be Daniel 2, where Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the world for all intents and purposes, but is made a beast by Yahweh for seven years. And so we do see this beast symbolism in Revelation as well. And uh, it wasn't until he recognized Yahweh as being the most high that he was then given his senses back. The word senses came up a little bit ago when PK was talking about sensuality. And um, when his senses were restored to him, he then began to praise God and was given back his office you know, and things like that. So it makes me wonder about this character who is basically going to show up because even though he's characterized in this very evil kind of way, um, Nebuchadnezzar was kind of seen that way too, but yet became a, a servant of God. So this person, you know, that's why I wanted to read Ezekiel there because it kind of characterizes like this person comes to be punishment for the disobedient quote, people of God, people who think they're people of God, but really aren't actually following his dictates or his commandments. And so this person comes along, this entity comes along, the spirit, as it were, comes along and then executes this divine judgment, as it were, which is the left hand of God. So this sem would make sense because it's the left hand of God that punishes, but it's not as strong as the right hand. So destruction's not complete. It's, it's limited to some degree. Um, so, so imagine if when you, you have a child and you only ever whip them with your left hand, never your right, you would ensure that you would never actually hurt them. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like how God corrects yeah. us with his left hand, but he saves us with his right hand. And that's the Shem element there. So um, thank you for allowing me to read that. So yeah, the restrainer, nothing. So this restraining element is, is present there in that story as well. Like, so whatever was restraining them or not restraining them, 
So there was a restrainer put in place. And that was what also confused the languages and stuff and spread them out. And see the restrainers being removed in the end days, just like with the headsets there. So all those barriers are being removed and we're going to see this happen again. So it's going to cause God's judgment to occur. So are, are we in a simulation or a simulation? Uh, <laughs> it's actually a good question. So maybe the millennial reign could be characterized like after the new world order falls. We do have a simulation, if you will, because the <laughs> same thing that was created uh, is made good. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, because the kingdom of God will fill the earth and it will be just one kingdom. So it will be a one world government, and one world religion and everything. It's just going to be the flipped version of what we're seeing now. So it'll be <clears throat> God rather than whatever it is they believe now, I guess. Um, yeah. Do you guys have anything to add about, about Babylon or be good? On I have that? a question. Um, I feel like it just, I just lost my question, but I felt like when I said that it, it come back to me and um, <laughs> yes. Okay. Here it is. So Joshua, do you, when you say the restrainer, or everything i mean to me i was getting it kind of sounded like like age or like age and then when you die um does that make any sense in that context well there is uh some scripture that came in mind when you said that about um ephraim getting gray hair um so there, I think there is some type of a, an illusion made to perhaps a peoples that, you know, they th- imagine being in the prime of your life, right? Not having any gray hair and you think nothing can stop you, right? And then old age comes along and basically kicks your ass, you know? So, uh, and it's, it's like, oh, I, I'm, I can't actually be what I thought I was. You know, it's a humbling experience in a sense. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I think, you know, time can be that. Um, but time is also associated to, I mean, you're saying age, but really to me, that's time. I think that's also a big element in prophecy. So, um yeah, some things just take time. Time is an essential ingredient for prophecy, for the fruit of prophecy to fruit. And just like we were reading in Ezekiel there, pride hath budded. Well, mm-hmm. it buds, but it never fruits. So we're never going to see this kingdom actually come to fruition, but it is going to bud. And that's exactly what we see here with the, ta- the story of the Tower of Babel. It buds but it never fruits. And so just like in uh, the story with Daniel, I think it might be Daniel. Four, got talks about the tree. <laughs> uh, in Daniel four, the tree gets hewn down. Um, and so again, very much the same way before this can occur to its fruition, it is cut down, which again, sorry to keep, I'm just keep getting triggered in my mind of all these other verses. <laughs> keep it going. Praise man. God. So, so in Revelation, it talks about the um, stars falling to earth and the fig tree being shaken by a mighty wind. 
Um, so again, it kind of reminds me of what I was just talking about with the tree. So this wind is what cuts the tree down. This wind is Ruach, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the Ruach HaKadosh, and which Enlil is Lord of Wind. So there we mm -hmm. kind of come full circle with that. Um, yep. So I just think it's worth mentioning. Oh, and <laughs> as far as that's concerned, I didn't expect that weave. Your uh, girlfriend's at an incubus concert, right? <laughs> well, incubus and a succubus are actually wind entities. They and so the Holy Spirit could have been some way, shape, or form related to this. I'm not. I don't want to say he it is an incubus or succubus, but that's the mechanism. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. so you've ever woken up with sleep paralysis or something sitting on you? It's an incubus or a succubus. It's a wind entity. So it's very similar to this, uh, what we're talking about right here. But that could be the restrainer too, is the Holy Spirit itself. This, this some type of succubus, incubus, wind entity uh that that you know when christ uh ascends into heaven he says i'm sending you the comforter the spirit of truth and i think that is the restrainer um so and it, and it just travels yeah. the globe doing work <laughs> you know along with whatever angels it must have in its employ as well like under its command so i think when we pray you know if they were like able to pick it up then they might execute the order or request that we're asking for. But it's when that's removed that all this will happen, I think. So just to kind of like maybe add some mechanics to it to maybe, again, make it more real. I'm trying, just trying to. <laughs> yeah. It made me think too, when you were talking about the whole, how the, you know, Tower of Babel was cut down or like this or that was cut down. And then, you have the whole story of the Jacob's ladder. So just mm. looking at this again in alchemical eyes, it's like maybe the whole Tower of Babel, uh, the story of like, you know, the building up and going up, like they did something wrong or like they didn't go on that path right. You know, if you tie it back into the the tree, the, the Kabbalistic tree, you know, there's paths and routes you can go and stuff. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, I wonder if something messed up or whatever but the whole jacob's ladder story is is kind of like tower of babel in a sense he builds there's a, a ladder and the angels and stuff ascend and descend from it it's like a successful tower you know um yeah in so, fact uh, uh yeah. we already kind of brought this up earlier but what letter can you find in a ladder which which alphabet letter? Are we talking Hebrew or what? Uh, the H, a series of H's. Ah. Oh, so the, the Shem is the ladder. The stairway to heaven is the Shem. Oh yeah. The, the H is the redemptive of salvation. Mm hmm. Well, here you go. So, um, uh, the old board game shoots and ladders. So your ladders yeah. shim, your shoots are for descent. That was your sin or mm. sem would be your shoots. <laughs> There's also snakes in that board game too. Snakes and ladders. I guess maybe we need to take a look at that sometime. <laughs> uh -huh. 
And I think the date palm, although it says the date palm is that uh, what's in that picture with the Anunnaki. Mm-hmm. Sure, that could be true. But I think it might also be a fig tree. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the tree itself and trying to figure out what species it was. And I noticed the date palm really only has its foliage and fruit at the top. So it didn't really look like a date palm to me. It, it's got them all the way down. And so if you look at a fig tree, that's how a fig looks. So, and, and in one of those, uh, base reliefs, um, it's got them making the sign of the fig toward one another, yep. which we've, I think, talked about in the past, mm-hmm. um, which is a, uh, a yoni symbol, like a female genitalia type thing and fig come in, uh, male and, f- uh, female varieties, of course, but, um, Personally, I think that it would help to explain a lot because if, if you know, we're dealing with the same entities here, um, the fig tree was what we ate from, you know, in the Garden of Eden and then covered ourselves with fig leaves. And then we see Christ talk about the fig when he's around. So there's the beginning, the middle, and then again in Revelation it talks about the fig. So personally, I think it's a fig. Right. And I think what we're going to see in Revelation, is the Anunnaki quote unquote <laughs> return and people lose their minds because it's like oh this can't be real and it's like yeah <laughs> guys <laughs> it is <laughs> and you're going to hell well, and then just they get wiped out so you know, the, it's kind of see it anyway. the reason why i brought up this photo of uh the 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 tree of life in uh sumerian is obviously we're talking about Babylon and Sumer, Mesopotamia. Uh, and when we were talking to Gary Wayne, he had mentioned the Cherubim have this eagle-headed uh, type of thing to do with them. And and biblically, you know, uh, it, when it talked about the Garden of Eden, it said that he placed some Cherubim outside of the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And so these would have been the Cherubim, these eagle-headed deities and this date palm or fig tree uh, that they're standing next to is a symbolism of that tree of knowledge from the garden. So I just thought that was really interesting that you have these two Sumerian uh, cherubim uh, standing over this tree of life or tree of knowledge, perhaps even, and it symbolically. Uh, some type of fig or date um so i just wanted to uh kind of show that a little bit uh to you because i know you you're always talking about uh the fig um and you had brought it up again so i was like oh i just heard about this the other day and how it's related and it relates to the cherubim so i just thought i'd bring that to your attention Please return, refer to figure one. <laughs> um, so uh, what I'd like to also point out of that picture you had up, it reminded me, um, yes, like you said, of the tree in the garden and the cherubim being set over it. But what it also reminded me of was the name, the tetragrammaton and the pentagrammaton which uh maybe go up back where it was like they're standing there's like two on each side standing by the tree 
yeah, the one what that kind of made me think of was the four royal stars of uh what is it the Leo, Aquarius, uh Scorpio, and Taurus. So those four angels are kind of being depicted there in a sense. And so that's Yod Hey Vav Hey, perhaps, are these uh-huh. four entities together and then the in the middle would be the shin where what's in chinese is actually the shin and we also see that in uh egyptian too the winged solar disc and mm-hmm. the kind of like onk looking thing Zero it's all answer. the same thing uh-huh. it's called the shin yeah yeah or the me like a vehicle oh wow so basically the merkaba at the top of the tree so that is the shin or shim that's added to the yud hey vav hey. So right there, we're actually seeing salvation on display. Like, mm. do you know? Like, a yeah. Word. Do you know what else is shin? So Genesis six fifteen, and this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits. So, talking about shin, what? Um, I believe it's three hundred. Oh, the, the wow. letter it is. You're the right. letter the numerical value of it is 300. is three hundred. It says in Genesis six fifteen, the length of the art shall be three hundred cubits. And here we are going on about Shin. You just said salvation, all that. That's Indeed. super interesting, man. I think <laughs> you're onto something super good. And that again is that's why it's so important to preserve the native language in Hebrew because that will be lost, in other words. Um, So even though I think it's fine to have those versions to to read and comprehend and digest it, you know, just to get to understand it, because a lot of people do struggle with that. But I think if you're serious about, you know, really understanding the 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 depths to it you got to look at the original language because this is what they would have been speaking i mean it talks about it right here they all spoke one language so we're getting as close to that as possible and like sumerian sanskrit hebrew like we got to get close to it to to really understand it i think and uh when these creatures return whatever they are they'll be speaking this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> kind of reminds me of that alien movie prometheus where they made the android and when they found the alien he was able to speak to it of course it killed him but mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but hey you know what i mean like I, that's basically how i see it like this is uh this is a real <clears throat> true historical account of entities interacting with us deities well that's debatable for sure. Well, I mean, um, that's the, I believe it though, is what I'm saying. <laughs> is, uh, that's how a lot of this stuff occurs to me is I think if you believe it, it starts to reveal things to you. Whereas if you don't, believe yeah. it, it darkens your eye to it. I think, I think what just happened was so huge. I mean, we were <laughs> sitting here, Dan brought up the, the uh, Sumerian thing. You go up to the like top of it. And talking about how at the top it represents, uh, you know, you kept saying Shin, right? And then right here in the Bible, it talks about Noah's Ark being 300 cubits. And, and then in this 
other texts I'm reading talk. Yeah. Salvation corresponds here with the letter Shin that we, you know, well, that Joshua, you've been talking about for uh, a a lot tonight. Um, So crazy. It kind of comes back around to this whole Noah's Ark and then how in uh, the last the last episode, you know, we talked about Noah or it could have been two ago where we spoke about Noah, you know, like he could do no wrong. You know, he was like the greatest thing in the eyes of God, right? Like God had zero problems with him. So he he like had this archetype, you know, and then, uh, you know, who better to to create the ark, right? So like, what's mm-hmm. that, what, that saying something to us symbolically, you know? Um, I think earlier when you were showing me the, the news, the new news and uh, how that right. relates to Noah, that goes to into Noah. the same yep. thing. And and because this is like a noose right here where uh, the God is sitting inside of the noose. Uh, so it's like the God. Yeah, there's a whole there's a mind. whole section in here talking about how Noah's the noose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a thing. Curious, Joshua, have you ever heard heard of that before? Noah being correlated to the Greek term uh, noose, the N-O-U-S? Noose, noose, like new. So it'd be like the new world, new beginning. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I thought you were meaning like a noose to hang somebody though mm. when you said it. So I uh, <laughs> misunderstood you. But you so like, yeah, that's the word for new, I think. So that would make sense for me. The word for new, oh! But what? But when you said it, though, no, it's 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 not. It, the noose noose is um, it's a word that uh is very hard that doesn't really have a good translation uh into the English language. Um, but noose is usually translated as mind, intellect, or consciousness, or something. But it's also you could think of it as like the uh the divine mind. Where basically there was the one, um, you know, that would be like the undescribable, the the God behind the creator God, right? That God that, you know, we can't even like wrap our heads around. And then and then the like first emanation from from that is the noose. And so to, to say it's like the divine mind or whatever isn't like exactly right, um, but it's it's interesting. We just watched a, a a video on uh YouTube. I believe it's the uh it's about uh well it's called What is Neoplatonism? And it's by a uh it's on the Let's Talk Religion YouTube channel. But anyway, the guy does a good job at kind of uh describing the best he can uh what the noose is, and there's there's a bunch of nuance to it. Uh but it's then so tying this this Greek concept where it's like more simply put than divine mind, right? That doesn't like describe the complexity of it. But tying this noose to to Noah um, is a thing. Yeah, uh, there's so basically a, he had the mind of God, essentially. Right. Like his, basically, the yeah, yeah. He understood God's will, in mm-hmm. other words, and um, right. this. Uh, reminded me a couple things so where it says thought and reason right there so if you look at the emerald tablets of thoth 
when Thoth oh. is transcribing his conversation with Poimandres, the dragon creature, uh, he's explaining to him his son, who's reason. So it, mm. it, it's pretty interesting. Mm. That comes up again. Um, and it was him that enlightened the minds of people and helped them see truth, et cetera. So he's the Logos. It's, it's salvation once again. But I never made that direct connection to until we were kind of talking about it. So I'm gonna, here, um, I'm gonna but, uh, one more thing. Oh, uh, hold on. Let me mention one more thing. Cause I might forget the, uh, Kabbalistic tree, separate tree. Um, mm -hmm. the first emanation is Keter. Then Benai and intellect follows. So what it's saying here is thought or reason intellect. So what we're seeing there, like you were talking about the emanations, um, mm -hmm. it, it's, uh, Keter, Chokma, Bena, I think, or maybe it's Choke, uh, Bena, then Chokma, one way or the other. It, but it's a left and right thing. So it's Keter emanating to the right, emanating to the left. So perhaps the Shin or Shem, Sem thing <laughs> is also kind of seen there. Uh, go ahead, Dan. Uh, yeah, I was just going to uh, kind of read what Noose is or Noose. N-O-U-S is how it's spelled. I'm going to read just a short little part of this, and people can go look it up for themselves and read read the rest. It's There's a, there's a whole bunch. It gets into Aristotle, Aristotle and all kinds of stuff. But So the noose is a, it's a Greek word, sometimes equated to intellect or intelligence. It is a concept from classical ph philosophy for the faculty of the human mind necessary for understanding what is true or real alternate english terms used in philosophy include understanding and mind or sometimes thought and reason in the sense of that which reasons not the activity of reason -ing. it is also often described as something equivalent to perception except that it works within the mind or the mind's eye, it has been suggested that the basic meaning is sometimes like awareness or consciousness too, I've heard. In colloquial British English, noose also denotes good sense, which is close to one everyday meaning it had in ancient Greek. The noose performed a role comparable to the modern concept of intuition. So uh, then uh, it, on the right, it says uh, there's this diagram that shows the medieval understanding of spheres of the cosmos derived from Aristotle as part of the standard explanation by Ptolemy. It came to be understood that at least the outermost sphere marked prima mobile has its own intellect, intelligence, or noose, a cosmic equivalent to the human mind. And if you look at this, it, shows like the the planets and the stars it almost kind of looks like a, a a zodiacal type of chart here but pretty interesting and then i guess the noose is uh i don't see it but I think yeah so i guess a noose if you if you were just looking at or talking about it as in uh the hermetic you know principles it's like all is mind well that's a noose it's the it's the like Joshua said the mind of God. So you said the news would be this whole thing, essentially. 
and then and then there's the behind it is the one the god the ineffable incomprehensible you know uh unbegotten well and a lot of people might say you know like when we hear god is love right that's a very emotive quality so mm -hmm. i think news would also encompass some of these emotions because uh look at how we treat animals if an animal has some capacity to show emotion or some type of intellect we seem to maybe put it on a pedestal of some sort because it's now not it's, it's not you know people don't think twice about killing an insect but if you go around killing puppies well now you're, you're a horrible <laughs> person and so but why is that it's because the puppy has newest and uh. right whereas insect doesn't seem to mm -hmm. so when you're murdering the puppy you're actually killing the mind of god but the insect maybe not so much i guess <laughs> so i just think that that's something to maybe consider also and maybe that has something to do also with the kosher thing is that maybe the animals that we're allowed to eat have the noose whereas the ones that you're not supposed to eat maybe those don't have noose so you know you are what you eat right so if you're eating only things with the mind of god <laughs> contained inside them then you become that but if you eat unclean creatures and such then you're going to embody the negative emotive traits of the quillipot for instance rather than the separat so when we eat noose <laughs> when we digest the word of god when we eat clean animals i think it elevates us spiritually mm. as well mm -hmm. and maybe brings us to this mind the state noah was in perhaps um you shared a graphic in the chat of the four worlds and yeah i, I was, kind of funny. was talking yeah did you look at it yeah i read it and it was funny because the guy is actually making fun of people in it with well if, if you don't mind can we read it please and then maybe i can comment on it afterwards yeah which one are you talking about you're talking about the one that i just shared the four, the four worlds, worlds right yeah yeah more specifically yeah. the last bullet point was the one that really caught my attention because yeah, yeah. so it Go talks ahead. about the four uh worlds and you got a uh the the kabbalistic tree of life here on the right and basically the first starting at the top where, you know, Kether would be. So like the first three Sephiroth um, is this world called uh, they're, they're broken down into sections of four worlds. The 10 Sephiroth is. And at the top, you have the at at Zaluth, um, which is archetype where you find the very essence of God. Um you know, and that's always associated with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why why I shared that was because I think that that describes right there is what the noose is. The noose is that that top of emanation. It's the uh, the first emanation, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, some equate that to 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 logos, although I think there may be a little bit difference than just saying that noose is logos. I think there's a little bit more nuance than that because again logos is also a greek word so you know why would they have two such words um i think they mean different things that's what i'm saying okay uh then the second world uh is bria 
Bria is a relation with the world of creation. Uh, the world of creation is the manifestation of the first world as a Luth. Third world is Yetzirah, uh, the world of formation. And then the last world among the four, uh, Isaiah. And here you uh, precisely the uh, similitude of this word. I say that right? Simil yeah, similitude of this word with the word Asia, the continent Asia. Okay, so I didn't say it right. The last word is Asia. World is Asia. Um, this is why many writers who do not know anything about the Kabbalah, uh, when we find this word Asia, they think we're talking about the continent of Asia. So that's interesting, Josh. I've never heard that before, and I'm glad you said that because to be totally honest, I didn't even read that part. Um, that's super interesting. So Asia, according to the Kabbalah, represents the Sephiroth Malkuth. Uh, Malkuth is the last, the uh, bottom Sephiroth on the kingdom. Uh, well, it's usually associated with the physical kingdom here, as in like we are in Malkuth. Um, I never heard that about the Asia thing. Well, what I think is kind of ironic or funny about this is that he says that without realizing Asia is where paradise is. If you, uh, Dan, if you could pull up the TNO map that we've looked at in the past, yep. um, the TNO map actually depicts paradise where the garden would have been. Uh, as being in Asia. So <laughs> I think it's kind of funny because he says that without realizing that that actually is the Malkuth. The kingdom itself was formed there. And uh, that's also yeah. that's also Shem's inheritance. He gets the double portion and then Ham and Japheth get the Europe. Japheth gets uh, Europe. Ham gets Africa. Shem or Sem <laughs> without the h there it is without the yes h. yeah he that's it joshua so this whole yes this whole thing that it's funny you say that so i would have never made that connection but reading you know a bunch of other stuff from the same source what you just said is a hundred percent what what they're saying on this website is a hundred percent that that the kingdom is asia the kingdom is malkuth the yeah, the yeah. physical it's it's and it correlates the Shem, you know, with, with, I'm sure you're well aware of the Shemites, the chosen ones, the, you know, the good ones are living in faith with God. Um, so it's like living right in the kingdom. You said Shemites, but what we really call them today are Semites. Right. And exactly. That doesn't have the H in it, though. So exactly. It almost kind of denotes like the unruly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I see what Shemites, however, would be the the uh, obedient. Can you scroll down a little bit, Dan? Because mm -hmm. even though that's a really good one, there's one in particular that actually uh, labels paradise. It's a white one, I think. Um, there's a lot of different ones, but the one we're looking for, I think, is white. So it might pop out on us a little bit. It's not that one, but that's closer to what we're looking for. I didn't expect there to be so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wait a second. It's on the wiki page. Is, are any of these the uh, linked to the wiki? 
Oh, you're using Bing. Okay. I've never used Bing before. I was wondering about all these different results. So, is, oh, yeah, there it is. The wiki, the the one you have highlighted is actually the wiki. So just go ahead and click on that one because the picture we're looking for is on that page. And it will uh, give us a more precise location. Oh, oh what? Oh, that's, that's, no, that's, that's not the wiki at all. Um, but anyway, it, it will give us a little more of a precise location for paradise, which we were talking about the cherubim that were set over the uh, the entrances to the to paradise. Uh, yeah, what uh, verse are we? What verse are we on? Like I got something interesting about actually Genesis eleven that we haven't gotten to yet, and it's about the Ur and the Chaldees, like uh. Go uh, to the right, Chaldea the right arrow. Oh, okay, Chaldea. Mm -hmm. um, no, it's not that. Paradisius, Paradisius, in Asia. Oh wow! Um, so and look at the top there. It's super interesting. Gog and okay. Gog and Magog. Yeah. Um, it was said that Gog and Magog represented the uh, basically the, the destructive peoples or whatever. And so there was a, a mountain range that separated them from Asia, basically, or, you know, the rest of the God's people. And I learned about Alexander the Great the other day and how he had held off Gog and Magog at the mountain pass. And I thought, well, that's probably how he got the name Alexander, because Alexander translates to protector of humanity. So he was protecting humanity from Gog and Magog, which were giants, actually. So I think I'm going to have to look, go look at Alexander the Great. Again. Uh, it's it's so crazy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> this is all to me. It just all speaks of like, OK, there there may have been some like truth to these stories or to some of these like actual events or whatever. But it's like they they took it, it it's sort of like you know look at roman history i don't know just our our history and the um how people can tie things back with the whole italian history of the caesars and everything being closely uh you know related to uh astronomical or or you know mythology basically astrotheology in a way um that that i bet some of this history like happened but like they wrote stories of it encoding actual like history and places on its face right but then like under it, it's like this whole like alchemical or or kabbalistic you know this whole like super hidden layer um where yeah if he really changes the the, the language in english you, you just you lose so much of it but this is fascinating. I wonder what Europe and Africa were in the Bible if if Asia was this Asia spelled A S S I A H. Where I don't know if that was in the Bible, but that at least is a, a Kabbalistic word, the A S S I A H. Africa I wonder what was Europa and Africa were. And I'm not sure what Europa was called before Europe, but Europe was Japheth's territory. So basically yeah. all the kingdoms of Europe are under his, which uh, if even in modern day, the Gog and Magog are featured in London, 
there's a yearly festival that takes place there where they celebrate the the giant which uh, apparently that was a wrestling match between a general and a giant but <laughs> anyway as time has marched on they both now look like giants so maybe it's one giant maybe it's two giants but at any rate in england they do the festival of gog and magog um and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was uh, i watched a video today that connected george the name george to gog um so i thought that was kind of interesting because look who our new king is and in, in England, it's george which is basically <laughs> a derivative from gog so um yeah food for thought right <laughs> but he he rules over jpeth's kingdom not asia so look at putin in this context so do you know what the last name putin means it translates to way or road so putin is more or less um king of the road king of the way which is kind of yeah. to malik tau the, the peacock entity of the yazidis <laughs> um yeah, I, I saw something um, kind of recently about Gog and Magog possibly being over over there uh, in in Russia and um, uh, wherever they used like old uh, uh, maybe Turkestan. Yeah, I don't know. Basically, but, it's where Ukraine is, and mm-hmm. so it explains a lot of what's going on right now. I think. Yeah, yeah, because the. Uh, in Revelation, those who say they are Jews and are not are of the synagogue of Satan, it says. And so in Ukraine, we got the Khazar Empire, the Khazarian Empire, who converted to Judaism as a religion, but were not ethnic Jews themselves. And so a lot of the people we see doing the stuff that's going on today are not actually Jewish. They're actually uh, what, what's, what is an ethnic Jew? Shem. So, you know, they're not of the same bloodline. So, um, it's it's basically the Khazarian Empire chose that religion, and then um, over time, kind of intermarried and stuff. And there's still a distinction made. Uh, Are the Phoenicians Jewish? I think they were probably half possibly related to like the tribe of Dan or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, in some cases perhaps, but there were some fallen tribes. I mean, there wasn't just Dan. I think there was another one or two that so were kind of kicked out too. Phoenicia is not uh, like a people. It's a city state. So it's I, like I saying, bring that up. It's like I, saying I, American. I said that purposely. Yeah. I said that purposely because that's exactly what people say about Jews as well. Dan. What you just said, people say exactly that's about the Jews. Or that's that's why I asked like that. They say, yeah. And well, same difference people. that you I can't consider define myself them. like can Jewish. you define them? Can you not? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not ethnically Jew, as far as I know, but I that's the religion I associate with. So I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Um I would say there's I, I would yeah try to claim it though. characteristics there is Jewish characteristics or uh semite characteristics of uh even the nose and the hair 
uh, they have woolly hair and they have the longer noses, bigger noses. Uh, and that's, I do have a big nose. that is, uh, that is like an ethnic, uh, feature of, uh, Jewish people. So there is something to yeah. be said that there is like an ethnic identity as well as a religious identity. The, uh, I think I might have yeah. mentioned this when we were talking about the fall of man before, but uh, remember the only sense of the five senses that was not mentioned in the fall of man was the sense of smell. So for Jews to have that distinguish distinguishing nose, I think is kind of a hat tip to the fact that the, the smell is the purest of all the senses. You can't really sin with your smell. The way you can with your eyes and everything else the closest thing to it is maybe wearing cologne or perfume i think where you might mm -hmm. be trying to like draw attention to yourself but other than that it's of all the senses it's like the purest and it wasn't mentioned in eve's fall or adam's room the fruit never smelled good she never said anything about that so i think that's an interesting distinction to be made as well but uh, just to sew that point up, though, but the Khazarian Empire is basically your Gog and Magog, I think. And this begat Ashkenazim, which the last four letters of that's N-A-Z-I. So that's where they come from. <laughs> it's crazy. The fruit, the fruit real quick, just got me thinking of like, like, God, is it, is it so obvious? It's, it's sex, right? I mean, yeah. You could say like, okay, yeah, women smell good, men smell good, whatever your you know your flavor is, but like, that's not what people you know are going for. It's about well, everything else. It's it about everything else, but the smell. <laughs> right, right. I'm just saying, it's like I I never knew that about the one sense being out that they didn't mention was smell, and like, just to me, like, well, how blatantly obvious is that? If if in fact it is sex, um, it would make sense to not mention the smell. Um, if you're talking about the fall, and sex does actually have a smell. Yeah, um, so for I sure. Think it's kind of interesting. That it's not mentioned, but uh, so one more thing before we get off that topic is that um, I've heard a lot of folks say that sex wasn't involved. So not only was it not an apple, I think it was a fig, because then we got fig leaves. I've had people right. debate me over that too. Well, they just used fig leaves, but it maybe it was some. It says fruit. Well, okay, yeah, but <laughs> if so, you're, so, you're just eating off the tree and you're shamed about it, you probably use the same leaves of this tree that you just ate, and that's of course how he would know that you've eaten off the tree because you're wearing the figs. He's like, I told you not to eat that tree, and you're wearing the leaves like come on now and then right after that yahweh curses the seed of the serpent so if there wasn't sex involved why would he have done that mm -hmm. no exactly and so when, when i say it when i'm talking about sex here that's the reason yeah obviously sex has a smell but that's not what people obsess over that's not what what bites you or whatever the, the the smell it's a secondary thing it's it's just like oh it is what it is mm. you know maybe it's good sometimes maybe it's bad sometimes but you ain't there for the smell <laughs> that's what i'm saying you're well, not but, there for uh, the smell of it actually this is a good mm -hmm, for the smell i don't know how relevant this is 
But women who are on birth control, it's said that they'll marry somebody, and then when they get uh, yeah. off of birth control, the they find out they're not really in love with the guy because it yeah. changes the smell, the pheromones, and everything mm-hmm. change. And now they heard that aren't a uh, good compatibility is not there. So I think that uh, it's it's subtle, but it, I think it is there. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 there, but it's not what drives you. That's what I'm well, getting at. And another it's thing, not what drives you. <laughs> and uh necessary like yeah. The book of Enoch, um, when when they take Enoch into heaven, the angels complain that he stinks. Even Enoch being a pure human, he he still yeah, stinks. That's interesting. Our sin stinks to the angels and to God. So he could probably have smelled the sin of Adam and Eve as well. Mm. Mm. what big nose you have um right (laughs) (laughs) and what does nose sound a lot like we just talked about yeah right (laughs) like noose follow your noose yeah the nose knows right the noose knows um oh and uh one last thing i shared a link (laughs) on the shin from the Chinese religion in the Zoom chat. And that too refers to the spirit. Um, and, and basically the same thing we we're just talking about. So the, even the Chinese have that uh, same concept with a very similar word, and it refers to heaven and spirit and all those things. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's uh what a coincidence. Let's get into this next part. I, uh, amazing how we've spent like almost two hours on eight eight lines nine lines uh i mean it's amazing how much time we can spend in these chapters uh i mean that's why we've been trying to go at it kind of slow uh because there's just so much to unpack everywhere you look there's new meanings and things going on and so this this is what makes it so fun to kind of unpack the bible and get a bit deeper into the meanings and the ideas behind it so let's get into the line of descent from shem to abram uh this is uh chapter 11 verse 10 this is the account of shem's family so this is a bunch of uh a little bit more boring stuff but i bet there's a lot in here (laughs) anyway two years after the great flood when shem was 100 years old he became the father of uh arfaxid after the birth of arfaxid shem lived another 500 years and had another sons and daughters when arfaxid was 35 years old he became the father of shalah after the birth of shalah arfaxid lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters when shalah was 30 years old he became the father of eber after the birth of Eber, Shalah lived another 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber was 34 years old, he became the father of Peleg. After the birth of Peleg, Eber lived another 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg was 30 years old, he became the father of Ryu. After the birth of Ryu, Peleg lived another 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ryu was 32 years old, he became the father of Sarug. 
After the birth of Sarug, Ryu lived another 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug was 30 years old, he became the father of Nahor. After the birth of Nahor, Sarug lived another 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor was 29 years old, he became the father of Terah. After the birth of Terah, Nahor lived another 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah was 70 years old, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, this is the family of Terah, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor, Nahar both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran, but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. And that concludes chapter 11. Any thoughts? The only thing I really see here a lot, I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of stuff that we can do with these numbers here to figure out uh, times and dates and all that stuff. And maybe there's some numeral numerological stuff hidden when, uh, in all these numbers. There's definitely stuff going on with those numbers. I have <laughs> no clue what, but yeah. they wouldn't write it. They wouldn't write it like that if there wasn't. There's some code going on in there for sure. Yeah, I agree. Would you dare say that the father wanted the numerology of the name to be specific? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I wonder if they, they correlate at all with the names and the ages. Well, what yeah, I can tell Hebrew, you, I don't know. Right off the bat, even though it's not used in it, uh, obviously, our spec sod actually contains a shin in it in the hebrew but in the english you don't notice it so uh, i think i'll hmm. share that the hebrew looks like yeah i wonder i wish how do we get bible hub to to throw in the gematria too they're <laughs> slacking do, do i need to do, do i need to write them a letter specifically asking them to throw in gematria to their uh thing actually if how you awesome just... would that be joshua if you just bring up, um, there's some popular website that does gematria. If you just pulled that up while you had the interlinear up, you yeah, could just tell copy, me I got a and, copy paste. and paste. Oh, well, I'm just saying it, it would give you some insight <laughs> though. Like you could do that for every name, for instance, and get the, the, the yeah. Values. So just like yeah. we're talking about with the measurement being interchangeable with shin, we'll think about what these names would be interchangeable with maybe uh mm -hmm. 
and in some cases too, like if you click the strongs, like it's uh, 775, I'll click it and see where else it shows up. Yeah, it's a it's such a great tool. I like using that as well. Um, what I had was this uh, this from where uh, what is it Genesis eleven thirty one, uh, where it states. It's talking about the Ur and the uh, Chaldees. So the verse goes, and Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, uh, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees uh, to go to the land of Canaan is that not Canaan? Uh, is that the same thing, right? Yeah, it's the same. Um, and they went to the into the land of Canaan, and they came until Haran and dwelt there. So, this gets into the Hebrew, um, a little bit, and talks about how Abraham lived in a city, in the city of of Ur, uh, spelled, well, the Hebrew, I'm not sure the letters, but uh, the English, at least it, it's here, it looks like A-U-R. The Bible translates, translators write U-R. So the Bible translators, at least in the KJV, they write uh, from Ur, U-R, of the Chaldees. So <clears throat> what it's saying here is that the Hebrew is actually that it's A-U-R. And when you look at the Hebrew, uh, it's okay. Here are the Hebrew letters Aleph, Vav, Resh, uh, which spells A U R, spells Ur, and that means light. Uh, so Abraham, as an archetype, lives in the light. Abraham lives in Ur or lives in the light. <clears throat> now, the next word, uh, which we get uh, Chaldees, it's where we get uh, the Chaldean from. You know, if you ever heard of the Chaldean cipher? Um, there's also lots of things associated with uh, magic in, in the Chaldean or astronomy in the Chaldean. But uh, in the passage, if you look at the original Hebrew, uh, the word is uh, chasadim. Um, again, I'm not sure of the exact letters, but apparently this word in Hebrew is chasadim. And it, um, it's usually interpreted meaning uh, Chaldeans. Now, the Hebrew word, though, in the Bible, if you look at it, that this chastidim means uh, demon, devil, fiend, goblin, gremlin, sprite. So basically, it means like a bad thing. Oh, here's incubus. It also means a <laughs> you know go school goblin, whatever. So, so now when we go back and look at it. From Ur of the Chaldeas, we could see that it says then from the light of the of the demons, basically. So they went from there to the land of Canaan. This is where I think they got this big 
uh, duality thing going on in the Bible. Um, because we're talking about light from the from the demons. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, light of the demons. And this is where I think the whole uh, duality comes into play. Because <clears throat> even with the names of God, if you really focus down into them, the whole El Shaddai thing and how you have Shaddai and the, how that's close to, you could say, like, uh, Shaitan or whatever. But yet we translate El Shaddai as in uh, the Almighty God is usually how it gets translated in the English uh, in, into the Bible. <clears throat> but what I'm getting at is I think it's this whole duality thing about, uh, you know, using energies correctly or or not and again being in control of them um i think if there were any similarity between those two it would be because it's maybe a phrase that says adversary of god would explain any similarity that it had i think because um you know, there was be like a, the Shaddai is usually references Lord. So any similarity might be like adversary of the Lord, for instance. So here, let me expand on that a little bit. I'm sure I just shared a uh, a picture with you. If you want to pull that up and look at it uh, in the chat here. So <clears throat> if you take. um. So this chasidim word that we just went over that was like Chald- came from Cal Chald- that we translate to Chaldean. Hey, can you pull up this this uh picture, Dan, that I just put in the um Yeah, I'm not sure if I can uh, the chat there. Pull it up uh as as like, uh, screen share. Yeah. Here me, I'll do it. Let me see. I can. Yep. Here we go. So, so this this chastity word that we just went over came from Chaldeas. Um, if you remove the a couple letters from them, the calf and mem, you're left with uh anyway, and this is saying that you're left with the Shaddai. So and this is stating too that Shaddai means those those uh kind of bad things, devil, demon, goblin, whatever. But um what I'm getting at is I think it's this whole duality thing. I also think this is where Lucifer comes from and the light of Lucifer and everything, and how Lucifer is also tied with Satan. Because and again, we're looking at the book of, of Genesis. How how do we all get here? We all get here from a sexual generative power there's no debating that all life here comes from a sexive a sexual generative power and also too all life that is here and created the moment it's created and is alive it is also cursed cursed in the sense that it's cursed to die the moment that it's born that's that's the nature of this place as soon as something comes alive it is cursed in the sense, meaning it will die at some time in the future. So I think that's kind of what this 
sort of things of of uh lucifer and this whole adversary and being cursed and stuff it's kind of coming from because it's explaining this realm that people just you know like to stay in their little bubble you know and and i, I can't blame them i mean who the hell wants to think about death no one wants to think about it but we all know it's going to happen and and so we sort of just like <clears throat> shield ourselves in a way you know from it um but this gets back in here into the Shaddai thing. What I thought was really interesting, which I'd never heard before, is um, the Shaddai is written on the door of any Orthodox Jewish home that they uh, kiss and touch the Shaddai every time they go out or in. And this is explaining the El Shaddai is a guardian of the door, the, the Lach. This is because the door, um, the Dalach, is the Sephiroth Yasad, the sexual force, which is where the almighty power of Lucifer, the light bearer, the light bearer is found. <clears throat> so, and this got me back into going like looking at that morals and dogma uh you know quote again where he talks about, oh Lucifer the light bearer, how can you anyway, it's all thing of in morals and dogma, uh, which is a, a Freemason book by Albert Pike. Um but continuing on here with the <clears throat> with the almighty power of Lucifer is in Yusad. It's basically stating that that um, that's El Shaddai, and and thus Yusad is where Abraham works. The holy God the name in Yusad is in the the Azaluth, which 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 we just went over was the top, uh, the top Trinity, right? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is El Shaddai. And basically, it's talking about, it's looking at the book and the Bible in, in a whole alchemical sense of bringing the waters from below up to the, um, you know, waters above. It goes on here in this last paragraph stating that how El Shaddai is in Yusad, um, which is a promised land, the fourth dimension, whereas Canaan, which is the outcome of fornification, is the curse or is cursed. So Canaan, the land of Canaan, is a Sephiroth Malkuth, which is the physical earth and the physical body. So it's like, you know, you go out to the land of Canaan's, you're cursed to the land of Canaan's. Um, kind of just goes back and all what I'm saying is like, we're cursed from the day we got here. You're cursed with death. The, the moment you arrived, uh, whether you like it or not, uh, you know, it's just a way to say that, I guess, in the Bible. That's all I got. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think uh, that's. that's um, go ahead, Joshua. Go ahead, because I, I have plenty. Go ahead, then. Yeah, because I didn't have pretty much anything. <laughs> um, there's a Hebrew word known as the mezuzah, which means doorpost. And according to tradition, the mezuzah is to be affixed to the doorpost at the entrance of a Jewish home, as well as to the entrance to each of the interior rooms, except for bathrooms. The mezuzah itself consists of a small scroll uh, of parchment on which there are written two biblical passages. And I included a uh, link there if you wanted to look at it. One of them is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and uh, the other is... 
uh, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. Do you know what this tradition is? Yeah, I think it uh, harkens back to Passover um, when they anointed the door with lamb's blood to keep the angel uh, okay. deaths from entering the home. So part of what I think Yesud might refer to is this angel of the Lord um, that is under the command of the Most High. So think of an angel of death, you know, but doing God's will. Um, and Christ, of course, is often depicted at the door. So his name means salvation. So we could say the Shin is also at the door, which Shaddai is in that word. Or Shin is in Shaddai. And it's the mm -hmm. SH. So they're literally putting the right accented Shin, which is the Lamb of God, the right hand, as it were, um, on the door. And so I think that's really symbolic. And also in the days of the tabernacle, um, for instance, like with the story of Abraham meeting the angel of the Lord, you know, he's sitting in the doorway of his tent with his family behind him, tending to the fire as they come up to meet him. So it was customary for the man of the house to sit in the doorway. Um, and protect the home. So the eye and the triangle is kind of symbolic of that. You know, watching mm -hmm. in the doorway. Um, the triangle in Greek is a delta, which is a triangle, which means door. So delet in Hebrew and delta in Greek are synonymous. So when we see an eye inside the triangle, it's really the man of the house sitting in the doorway or Shaddai on the door so it's kind of representing like the spirit of god or a protector and also you were talking about the hasidic topic hasidism uh included a link uh, in zoom chat as well hasidism sometimes spelled chastism chastism as you mentioned mm. earlier and also known as hasidic judaism in other words ashkenazi hebrew um original meaning is piety is a jewish religion religious group that once arose as a spiritual revival movement in the territory of contemporary western ukraine during the 18th century and spread rapidly throughout eastern europe so hasidism like it, you were showing there with the um the word hasidic take the mem and calf out of it and you get el shaddai well there you have it right there so again that connection to the Askenazi um, element, which if it does, if this does connect to like a devilish type thing, this would explain why Christ, who is the shin at the door, tells us in Revelation that they say they're Jews, but they're not, that they're of the synagogue of Satan. Well, and, and this is, this is the thing. So I, and this is why, too, I, I think it's it's easy to be uh, to get why people get this confused is because I'm not I'm not calling that thing evil like it's it's just a force. So it's up to us whether whether it's evil or not. So them them having El Shaddai on there and and, you know, me thrown out Lucifer words and whatever is is not me saying that it's evil it's it's 
the El Shaddai from from what I've read and kind of comprehend is like it's like a, a force. It's a sexual uh generative force. It's 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 uh the power of this place. It's how we all came to this place. So to give it reverence or anything is not evil. It just like is, but but it could be evil because you know, I mean, sex makes the world go around. So it's like you know, it totally can be evil if if one wanted it to be, and that's how I think the whole confusion thing of all the Lucifer and Satan uh, uh, thing sort of is too, because Lucifer um, p- could possibly be that sexual energy using in a good way, uh, as in um, to promote, you know, the the raising the Kundalini, the the. The you know opening your third eye the the light, but that same sexual energy can be your Satan as well. It can be your adversary. So that's why maybe Satan and Lucifer, in that context, are sort of the same thing. One of them's good, one of them's bad, but they're both talking about that sexual generative energy, love, if you want to call it by. Um, Walter Russell, right? And getting back to this noose mind universe love, you could call it that as well. One's good, one's bad. So that's I just wanted to clarify that. I'm not I wasn't trying to say that like wasn't trying to say that like Jews were evil or I thought they like worship Lucifer. No, no, no. I'm just saying that perhaps there they there's this reverence and understanding for a you know, one of the, if not the most strongest forces in this realm, the sexual generative force. Well, some of them do actually. <laughs> um, the, I'm not all, of course, but and see, this is actually where we get the uh, in 1666 redemption through sin and sabotage Zeti, and he had like this whole thing where they sinned to try and attain salvation so in other words they were trying to tempt god is what it was so there were sects (laughs) which sounds a lot like the word sect there were sects of them that do worship it um but anyway that's not what i was trying to say either because really uh the angel of death is this force probably the same one that was in the garden and um, yeah you don't have to worry about it if you're following god and keeping his commandments he's only there to punish the the those who are not faithful so it he's a protector for the faithful and a punisher for the unfaithful in a sense um but that's you know at the threshold of your house is where this kind of is emphasized because we see this also in the story of the plagues of egypt um the last plague was the death of the firstborn. And this is where we get the importance of Passover, which again is uh, very symbolic of that door doorway. And um, they were led out of Egypt um, as the angel of death was going over. So they would have like a, a protection or a covering, you know, from this entity um, who was punishing Egypt, killing the firstborn, even the Pharaoh's son, but not theirs. Can you bring that back up 
uh, real quick that text that you had up there, Dan, because there's one thing oh, I wanted sure. to mention before we got off that uh, topic completely. You see it now? No, it was the Methuselah one you had up there. I remember? Oh, okay. I think I, I or Methuselah, it. rather. What? How do you spell? Um, um. Can you just hit back, like backward or whatever? Um. Methuselah. Like the back button. Yeah, no, because I closed it. Oh, I see. Well, that's pity. Um, <laughs> How yeah, you... I had a really interesting. Go ahead. I'll. I'll uh... It's M E Z U Z A H. So M- it's M E Z. Is it this wiki link that's in the yeah. chat? Well, maybe. It's in. Yeah, there, yeah. that's the one you had right there. Okay, um, sorry for that blunder there. So, I just was trying not to interrupt you earlier. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so notice here it talks about, and I think it's the fourth paragraph down. And Kalaf is the Kalaf is prepared by a qualified scribe. Is that an S O T E R? Or S O F E R. Can you tell? F. It's kind of hard for me. It's an F. So for stomp. Are you sure that's an F? Because it looks like to me it might be a T. Yeah, it's I an just F. can't tell on my screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see how it also has the S O P H E R uh, for sofer. So S O F E R S O P H E R sofer. Okay, I just couldn't tell. Yeah. Um, so I think that what's uh, kind of interesting here is that we're seeing how he's carving that and putting the shin on it, and then that is becoming like this salvation thing, which is Im- uh, symbolic of the. See, there is the shin once again. Um, the lamb's blood is the right hand uh accented shin the right hand path the lane so yesud which side of the tree is that on uh, pk that might be kind of a clue as to which sin or shin it might be associated with because um, you asked earlier about yesud i think yeah let me uh um and then I guess the last thing to mention about this particular thing was uh, scroll back up a little bit, please. Um, okay, so the Deuteronomy verse right there that it is in blue, we can click that. It's up in the first paragraph. Yeah, that's what the mezuzah often is. So, y- Besides the middle, it's like there's two, two at the bottom. Like Malkuth is the bottom, and then you just go up one that's like kind of a half one. Okay, and that's Yasad. It's a vital body. I think that's glory, then perhaps. Yeah. Um. Did you find it? Okay. Thank you for clicking that, Dan. Um. 
so he tells us to put the commandments on our door. So where exactly is that? Which verse? Yeah, there it is. Uh, six and seven and eight, maybe. And these words which I command thee this day shall be upon my heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when, I, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and thy shalt be for frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thy house and upon thy gates. Um, and then it says, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall bring thee fill and cisterns hewn out, which, oh, I'm sorry, you scrolled. I was like, what, what happened there? <laughs> um, <laughs> and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou didst not build. And I think what's so interesting about this is if you look at Deuteronomy here um, in that specific verse eight, binding it as a sign to your hand and between your eyes, in contrast to Revelation 13, verses 16 through 18, when it talks about the mark of the beast, that is in your right hand or your forehead. And it, that's yeah, this alchemical is fuck. And that's in contrast to the Lord's commandments. So people are trading the Lord's commandments for a different allegiance in this revelation you know, concept here. So that is, mark of the beast ties directly to verse eight right here, so, um, which I'm left-handed by the way. So things like that really stand out to me because you're supposed to wrap this around your right hand, right? And so this is when you see the Jews wearing a tefillin on their forehead. It's a black cube containing portions of the Torah. And on both sides of that cube is a shin, Hebrew letter shin. One of them has three prongs on one side. And then the other side has four prongs representing like the left and right. So the sem and the shin once again. And then he wrap, then you wrap around your arm the leather strap, which I think also has verses written in it. So you're binding the commandments to your right arm and between your forehead is front ones. So when they do the tefillin each day and they recite the verses, they're doing that to digest, mentally digest the word of God. And so that they remember them always and they're memorized. So that's what we're instructed to do so that in the end time when the Antichrist shows up, he actually attacks people that keep God's commandments and who basically are doing that, right? So he is the manifestation, once again, of that angel of death that, that appeared in Egypt. But the blood of the lamb covers you, right? So anyway, thank you for clicking that because um, I, I felt very important. What? I, I I had a question about the verse eight right there. What do you think that means for frontlets frontlets between the nine eyes? Oh well, like I was just explaining with the tefillin. If you um, click the back button, 
there is a hyperlink to it. I noticed. Uh, well, okay. And now, so i um, I guess I mean, do, do you think of that in another way besides the literal? Uh, scroll down a little I guess bit. Is what I was asking. Uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Sorry. Up there in the little like square thing, the first one at the top. It's near the bottom. There we go. Tefelin Mazuza. Is it not a hyperlink? No. Um, okay. Well, that's how you spell it. But it's the Tefelin. So if you look, yeah, you're talking at, about the things they they wrap right around their hand yeah, and yeah. have a little box on their head. So that's what it means. But I think it's also symbolic because a lot of Christians will argue about the mark of the beast and say, "Oh, it's whether or not you keep God's commandments." It's like, well, yeah, it is that. <laughs> but um, there's also going to be a physical mark of people that. You know, don't keep God's commandments, they'll get the mark. Well, I personally think it might be your eye scan, like when they scan your eye, because a lot of this new technology with the digital currency and stuff that's coming, it's using eyeball scans. Um, and so you have a chip in your hand and an eye scan. That's how you access your bank account. So that's how it's going to be. And only the people that don't keep God's commandments and don't study them and don't have them bound, bound to their arm and into their their forehead. Those are the people that won't do that. You know what I mean? So when you bind them to your arm and your forehead, I think that's what that's talking about. So the commandments are in your head, in other words. Um, that's why I think that's why it kind of stresses teaching them to your children. Because if you don't mm -hmm. do that, they're going to grow up without it in their head. And so whenever it says you spare the rod, you ruin the child, it doesn't necessarily refer mean like physical punishment, although that's very helpful too, I think, to a degree. <laughs> but uh, sparing the rod means to not share the word with them. So if your children grew up ignorant of the word of God, or in this case, Deuteronomy uh, 6, verse 8, then sparing they're not the gonna... rod like Aaron's rod? Yeah, something like that, perhaps as well. Yeah, it's normally given like a negative context, context rather, but uh, really the rod is direction of God's word. So when you don't share the word with your child, you spoil them. They're they're ruined, in other words. So I think it's kind of a reference to that. You got to feed your head, as the White Rabbit song says. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, Otherwise, you if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. Kind of, kind of gist, I think. But yeah, the tefillin is um, like a physical representation of something spiritual. But <clears throat> I think this gets into the newest, the nose thing again, because the word of God is kind of like some nose that we're given. You know, it's like uh, I, I guess that might be a good way to explain it. Maybe. Uh here I has a uh, um the following is an excerpt excerpt uh from Brent A. Gardner, second witness, analytical and contextual commentary on the Book of Mormon, six volumes. Uh it represents the commentary following the text, including the phrase skin of blackness, and analyzes the textual data to answer the question of meaning. And two Nephi five twenty-one. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yeah, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, and they become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome, 
that they may not might not be enticing unto people the lord did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them two things happened uh to the lamanites as a result of their hardening their hearts against him the first is that they are cursed the second is that yahweh caused a skin of blackness to come upon them the curse is a fulfillment of lehi's prophecy about the land if iniquity shall abound curse shall be the land for their sakes uh that cursing was pronounced upon the land but iniquity must come from the people not land cursing follows the people who work iniquity thus nephi can claim that the lamanites are cursed because they fall under the foundational prophecy of the land which include both a blessing and a curse according to righteousness uh the second part of this verse indicates that after the curse another sign was placed upon the lamanites that allowed for a separation between the lamanites and nephites this very this barrier is very clearly a religio-political one because it specifically forbids intermarriage there are two important aspects of this declaration one is the establishment of rules concerning potential marriage partners and the second is the nature of the skin of blackness um we're talking about uh, the mark and uh I, I recalled that from the book of mormon it seemed like this was a curse placed upon uh people who did not follow uh god's blessings uh, there was another part that i remember too where it says that they put a interesting dot, it said blessing a, and a curse a dot on their forehead <laughs> um which is uh and then uh, yeah so uh we know that the cur uh ham uh canaan is cursed and in chapter 10 when we read that um canaan was all the uh, basically african peoples um so there you go god's doesn't he's racist <laughs> and which which one of of god's sons like didn't see noah naked right wasn't it shem or like uh, shem and japheth did not see him naked ham did see him naked and it, then canaan uh, canaan was cursed because he did see um may i add something to that please yes go ahead i think part of the reason that he saw him naked was because he stole his clothes yes which were the skins that were given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Mm -hmm. um, these skins were also what Nimrod had, who was actually a descendant of uh, Ham begat Cush, and then Cush begat Nimrod, I think. So they, he basically Ham stole the skins <laughs> of Adam and Eve from Noah when he was sleeping in his intoxicated slumber and that's how he's seen him in his nakedness i don't think he sodomized him or anything like that which i think is ridiculous although perhaps there could have been something to that too i don't know but i think what it is he stole his clothing now what this clothing was able to do was it prevented animals from ever running from you so you could just walk right up to an animal 
And this is how Nimrod was such a good hunter, was that he had these skins, and so no animal would run from him. So, of course, you could be an excellent hunter if animals didn't run from you. And, um, of course, Esau ended up with these skins also. And in the story of Jacob and Esau, whenever they're trying to get uh, Isaac's blessing, Isaac asks Esau to get him some a goat for some goat stew. And, to, and because of Esau's pride, he takes off his skins and lays them down so that it'll be a challenge for him to go out and get a goat. Well, while he's away, uh, Jacob steals them. So this is where the skins get back into the Jacob line where they had been stolen from Noah into Ham's line and then kind of ends up with Esau in a way, same spirit, even though they're not the same line. But then Jacob ends up with it again. So it's like it kind of gets back into the Adam and Eve spirit, so to speak, rather than the Cain spirit. So yeah. uh, when Jacob puts the skins on, he's able to fool Isaac into thinking he's actually mm -hmm. Esau and feeds him the goat. So, of course, he had no problem getting a goat when he had those skins. <laughs> so uh, what are those skins now? You know, but anyway, since we I wanted, hit that topic, I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up to you too, because when we talked about this the other night, uh, this is what I noticed, and I wanted to like kind of run it by you also. Uh, is that because Noah is supposed to be the perfected one, right? He's the perfect one, he's the one that God chose to uh keep the lineage going. Uh, said so after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine uh, he had made and he became drunk and lay naked inside his tent. Um, and then uh, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. So what I... Uh, put out there was that Noah got drunk and so it doesn't necessarily mean that this drunkenness is a sin but it also one of the words that we used was like belligerent uh he got angry and mad and so when his son Ham uh saw him he was no longer uh a perfect uh person uh because he was getting belligerent and angry uh from his drunkenness and so the fact that ham saw his sin he cursed his children um what do you think about that well i mean if you, i guess it's possible that maybe you know, people are raised to be a lot more pure back then. So, you know, imagine uh, maybe some of those children never seen death, never had to kill, so on and so forth. Um, so seeing something like that could poison them in a sense. Like now that they've seen it, they might, you know, after all, you're if you have a child, they emulate you, right? So, uh, 
if you tell them do as I say, not as I do, well, that's not necessarily going to work because they've watched you do it. So they might do it. Right. So I can see what you're saying there. That, that could be possible. It, that's almost like a mental poison, which is kind of what sin is. You know, sin goes through the family bloodline and its behaviors, its thoughts, its actions. Hmm. Yep. Um, I wanted to go back to this Deuteronomy six, uh, real quick though. Uh, while you guys were talking before we leave, this, before we leave that Canaan, the yeah, Noah go being ahead. drunk, can I say something to that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just want to read this real quick. It puts it again in the al- alchemical sense, which I think is a cool perspective. So <clears throat> when Noah's type. Noah's type of drunkenness relates to to the spiritual level in which many initiates um, who see things in their inebriation that they don't understand. So their mind, ham, just ham, becomes astounded and sees the uh, nakedness of their father. Doesn't mean physical nakedness. Um, Basically, the states, the states that nakedness relates to ignorance. And when you have capacity uh, that you don't have the capacity in yourself to understand what God is, then you realize that you need to address yourself with more wisdom. And Ham, which is the mind, is the one that realizes that. Uh, so then it asks, like, why Why are the other uh, two boys of Noah, why did they not see his nakedness? Noah did not blame Ham, but he says, cursed be Canaan. You know, what is Canaan? Canaan isn't there. He's going to be the son of Ham, um, as you just said, Dan. So he's like, <clears throat> then he relates this to when you when you descend down, you come into Malkuth, which is that last Sephiroth, the one that we're in, the physical kingdom. Um, and he says you come here in order to, it's got the whole thing about coming here to learn. So you descend down in Malkuth to acquire more degrees of objective uh, reasoning, to acquire more knowledge. Um, so just wanted to add that. Thought that was pretty yeah. interesting. It made a good point that you didn't. If you think if you think Ham is is mind, it's interesting that Noah doesn't curse Ham; he curses his son, which right. is Canaan, which is phys- physical, which is Malkuth. Interesting. Uh, go ahead and hit the. Deuteronomy. Yeah, that's great. Uh right here in uh the Deuteronomy, uh, what was it? Sit chapter six, verse ten. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers. Uh, which to me may be America, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou didst not build uh i find this really interesting in like the way of like archaeology and like uh like uh you know building over the tops of the cities and whatnot he's are so is this referring to cities that were built by uh, other people before these people arrived there and that they didn't build them uh everybody always talks about the pyramids and who built them uh you know nowadays they they credit the egyptians for building them but were they already there before the egyptians 
and the Egyptians got there and they were given to them as uh, as cities, but they didn't, in fact, build them uh, because these were great and good cities. Now, I'm not necessarily referring to Egypt. I'm just using that as a as like a reference uh, because there's uh, these cities all over the world uh, that seem to have been really old uh, and people don't know how they built them. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a interesting, interesting verse right there. I think it's well, re- it's referring to the city of of you, the city within you. Okay. You didn't build it because it's not a physical. It's not a physical thing. Uh, that it's talking about like the temple that you don't build. Yeah, like Solomon's temple is not a physical thing. Uh, it was at one time before it got destroyed, though. Right, um, allegedly. And then allegedly they're going to rebuild it. But it was actually built twice. So Solomon's was the first. Once it was destroyed, a second was created. And then, yes, there's the fabled third. Um, another thing to add, though, about inheriting those cities that they did not build, when they were given the promised land by Yahweh, they had to also defeat the inhabitants, which were giants in the land of Canaan. So they did end up with all the vineyards and plentiful food and the land of milk and honey and so on and so forth, but uh, they had to conquer it. And it continues there in Deuteronomy saying that, hey, I'm giving you all this stuff. Don't forget about me or or else. (laughs) So, of course, that's what happened. And that's why the temple got destroyed. because they, they created the tabernacle in the wilderness mm. until they were able to conquer the promised land. And then um, soon after that, they built the temple. And it actually only took, uh, I think, seven years to build it for Solomon because he had the help of the fallen angels. Um, but then the second time, it took 46 years to build because they didn't have the help of the fallen angels that time. They didn't have the authority to order them around. So uh, that might shed some light on that topic as well. Speaking of shedding light, I've heard Chance on Interverse say that Abraham kind of roughly translates to father of darkness. Uh And then Ur, like PK was talking about earlier, Ur referring to light. So um, after Shem, you eventually get Abram who's in her so you got the father of darkness living in light and i just kind of thought that was interesting to break it down yeah um back in that deuteronomy didn't you say wasn't it abraham and then you got was it isaac and jacob and Deuteronomy it was promised joshua oh you mean in genesis um you were just uh, no, yeah. no, no. Back in Deuteronomy, it said where it said, uh, you know, that they did not build. Okay. Thy fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So I'm not too up to par with my Bible knowledge. Joshua, you might be. I know Israel. Jacob built a ladder like we just talked about uh, that was like the good tower of Babel. Yeah. What, what's Isaac? 
well, basically, it, like we were reading those genealogies earlier, um, Shem basically is the line, you know, one of the three brothers that begat those who would eventually begat Abraham. And then These Abraham, are the Shemites? Yeah. Right here? Correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Abraham begat Isaac, then Isaac begat Jacob, and then Jacob begat the 12 sons that started Israel. Gotcha. So, yeah. So this to me, that to me right there is more proof in my head saying that like they're not physical because it's talking about, you know, the descendants of Shem and Israel and you know, union with God and stuff. Sure, there's physical nature to maybe to something, but the the I don't know, just to say that they didn't build, they got godly cities, which cities you look into the cities is interesting. I wonder what um I, I've read something before of like something of uh about Swamasari, one of those people talking about how cities are um there's also a very spiritual thing to the word cities i'll have to pull that up probably for for next time but it's an interesting bit of knowledge to have in your back pocket uh when kind of makes you look at cities with new eyes uh perhaps of how they can be translated in kind of a spiritual way yeah and cities are the first city was founded by cain by the way mm -hmm. i just wanted to uh uh because i was talking about that uh the city's thing and and then uh the the mormon book of mormon uh and right after that that curse that he laid upon him uh it says it is well known two peoples a white race this is from book of mormon a right a white race and those of a darker color inhabited ancient america for approximately a thousand years time the right white race was called the nephites and the darker race lamanites the reader may say yes we understand that there were a white race and a dark race in ancient america approximately 600 bc until approximately 400 a.d but we have understood also that the latter date all the white people nephites except moroni have been killed in a war with the darker people or Lamanites. So we talked about uh, the war killing the giants. Is it true that the Nephite nation ended toward the close of the fifth century AD, but probably many of the white Nephites were saved from death by joining the Lamanites and these then would not be followers of Christ and would be unfaithful ones. The last great war was not fought entirely on the lines of race, but probably the determining factor was that one group allied itself with the Lamanite traditions and the other group followed the Nephite traditions, including a belief in Jesus Christ. Thus, there probably were dark and white people in each army. Um, so I just brought this up because it was talking about 600 BC to 400 AD. And um, basically, uh, these descendants, uh, these Nephites and Lamanites, they are descendants of uh, 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 Israelites or Jews uh, from Israel to America. Um, so it's 
that's why I was kind of going back to this Deuteronomy thing. But after you added Isaac and Jacob, I did. I kind of glanced over that because it says, you know, it says that he will give them the promised land. And I've seen prophecy type stuff where it talks about America was supposed to be the new promised land that was given unto uh, the tribes of Israel. Uh, so uh, it was called uh, Mer Mer Mer. The Star of America, I think, or Mercia, or something to that effect. Um, and so they they knew of this land and they came here to settle it because it was a part of the promise that they were given uh, for this land. And I don't know where I'm going with that necessarily, Dude, other than I thought it was interesting. <laughs> the Book of Mormon is wild. Are you kidding me? So I I've <laughs> never really looked into it that much like yeah. what the hell is this <laughs> like this is this is crazy yeah yeah <laughs> i had i had no idea it said stuff like this mm -hmm. like what yeah the, 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 the these nephites um, and uh, lamanites were were from israel and they came over to america and it says approximately 600 bc till 400 a.d uh, before their, uh, before this war happened between the two, and then they kind of combine into one. Uh, but you know, we've talked about on rising from the ashes before these these ancient cities in America and pyramids and all this other stuff, and who was here uh, in ancient times. And it appears that there was ancient peoples in America, and they were possibly of uh, Jewish descent. I think even the Native American race, when they do their DNA, it takes it back to, um, and not necessarily the Middle East, but it's like near near India. So is this a is this reading? Did you read from the actual Book of Mormon, or was that from that's Mormons, that like from a, a council? Yeah, that was like, like a study. Were they reading the book? Yeah, that was okay. like a study from the Book of Mormon. But I do have uh, the three different versions of the Book of Mormon. I have <laughs> Pearl of Great Price and uh, the Book of Mormon and Jesus the Christ from the Book of Mormon. I, I like to collect uh, religious books. So. Yeah. <laughs> I used to talk to more. They would come to my door and talk to me. So I was like... Yeah, let's get it on. Let's have a conversation. So we'd have like one or two hour conversations in my garage. And I'll talk to him. I, Dude, I just, like I just do years. that. I just get Jehovah's Witnesses over <laughs> here, and uh, and I do that. I've had a couple hour conversations with them. I love on, it. Uh, That's why I like doing this too. It's fun for me. Uh, I like to learn more about other people's beliefs and everything. I think it's all fascinating. So same. I like, I like to same. just talk about it man i mean i don't get very many people that want to get down with me with religious topics so when i find somebody that is like begging me to i'm like all right let's go dude let's go <laughs> <laughs> so they use the new international version the niv and uh, i've debated I i've talked to them a great deal and i admire how usually they have a good command of the scripture to the uh good for Bible study. You're talking about Jehovah's, right? Jehovah's Witnesses, yes. 
Um, yes. However, I debated a gentleman not that long ago, and um, I was asking him about the vaccine and stuff, and he had gotten it. So oh. I was really puzzled as to why somebody so pious or who you know knew a lot of the Word of God would do such a thing. And so I asked him if he was familiar with um, Daniel, um, and you know um, about that mixing of the seed, but it wasn't in his version. So I thought, well, duh, okay, that must answer the question. Doesn't matter how well you know it if it's not in there. You know, so here just a little bit of Satan takes a little bit away here or there, you know, and before you know it, some of the most important parts are missing and you're screwed. You know what I mean? So I think it's really risky sometimes that that's why we got to, like you were saying earlier, take our time line by line and actually digest the word of God, eat it slowly, um, chew it. And that's what we're told to do is ruminate. Um, a kosher animal ruminates, for instance, it has to regurgitate and chew its could and have cloven um, feet to be kosher. Well, just like a kosher animal, we have to ruminate on the word of God and meditate on it and spend our time slowly digesting, you know, so that we don't just gloss over it and be like, oh, yeah, I know it. And um, when we do that slowly, especially in fellowship like this, we all walk away a lot different than we entered into. <laughs> we all know more now than we did a couple hours ago. For sure. Yeah. I thought that we, so yeah, I, I really, I was going to say, if anybody's listening and, and you could drop in the comments, maybe what you've, you've gathered from this. Yes. Yes. Please do drop in the comment comments. And if you want to be like PK and join in on the conversation, Hit us up, and also we are planning to do uh, a Q and A uh, episode uh, that will hopefully be live. Uh, that's the best way to do Q and A. So uh, on YouTube, um, and so we will schedule that probably like a month ahead out, and uh, let people know so that way they can mark the date and stuff, and then come on and uh, ask questions and um, just fellowship with us and let's talk you know so um i think that would be a fun thing to do um yeah and uh i think uh there was a lot of stuff that i learned here today on this episode i thought that noah thing was very interesting the salvation part and everything that really kind of blew my mind too so uh every time we do one of these episodes there's always something new that i get to learn also and uh i find that fascinating so i hope everybody else that's listening out there is also learning something and taking something away and um moving to whatever direction it is that you're moving to uh doesn't matter to me uh i think the knowledge is what we're trying to give you here and that's the most important part so yeah joshua You know, I always have something else to say, right? <laughs> um, so I got three things. Um, first of all, we were reading about Terah. Yes. And Abraham's father. Yeah. So uh, 
I, I, maybe this is something that we can visit in the next episode. Um, but Terra is also the, where they crown the Kings in Ireland. And mm-hmm. so I think that maybe we could talk about the, you know, some of the theories around how they were seafaring peoples. Like you mentioned the Chaldeans, I think earlier PK, um, of course they give them all sorts of names, Scythians, Scythians, uh, Phoenicians, Chaldeans, well, etc. Tar, but, uh, Tar and Tara, like Tartaria, Tar means, uh, the tree and, Tara, like Astare, means the star. So that's the tree and the star. That's where the Christmas tree probably comes from. Yeah, I think that's very symbolic of that. And uh, Jesus too, right? Which the Christmas tree is not biblical. In Jeremiah uh, 10, verses 1 through 10, it talks all about that. In fact, I think it's in the first five verses specifically. It says not to cut a tree down and deck it with silver and gold and to not do those things. So I'd say it's probably from that tradition. And that was something that they were even doing at the time when Jeremiah was around and he's telling us not to do it, but look what's going on today. You know, mm-hmm. even in the Orthodox church that I like to go to, they uh, do Easter egg hunts and have Christmas trees up. So, you know, that, I don't know. Anyway, one other thing I wanted to point out, <laughs> two two more things. Um, tomorrow is Pentecost, and Penta is 50, cost is count. So 50 count from Passover. So Passover occurred April 5th through the 13th, plus 50 days, we get May 28th, and that's Pentecost. So Pentecost is when the disciples were all gathered and a rushing wind entered into the room and uh, above their heads sat cloven tongues of fire and they were able to understand one another's language. So there was no language barrier amongst them. And this is when uh, the disciples were sent out to you know, be missionaries and to start delivering the logos and the word. But um, I just wanted to point that out because it was almost as if uh, in, in that moment, Yahweh reversed what he had done to the disciples only. So they were like this imposition that he had put onto mankind. It's like in that moment, he took it away from them so where he's confounding the languages and destroying the tower and confusing the languages at pentecost which is tomorrow the spirit descended and gave them the ability to understand so it'd be like giving them all the google or the babble fish earphones that we were looking at earlier you could think of it like that like during pentecost they all got a headset basically that they could (laughs) accept it spiritual and they could all understand one another um and so this is where the whole tradition of speaking in tongues comes from. Telekinesis, uh, maybe? Spiritual uh, oneness through like spiritual meditation, connecting their brains together? Maybe something like, like a mind meld. Yeah. Um, so think of that, how it's similar to the Tower of Babel, how Pentecost is like a, um, a rectification of that. You know, it's like that was a bad version of it 
well, here's a good version of it. And so sometimes God will take things that are bad and turn them upside down and make them good to add glory to his name. And I think this might be one of those examples, um, which uh, the end doesn't come until the gospel of salvation has been preached to the ends of the earth. And so that too is overcoming that language barrier in a way. So um, can you think of somebody more famous than Jesus Christ <laughs> uh, or, or salvation? And even Trump was humble enough to admit that he would, you know, <laughs> Christ was more famous than him. So I think that's kind of funny because uh, so what is the name Jesus Christ or, or Yahshua or salvation, whatever we want to call it, that is a shim. And there's fame to that name. Mm. And after all, we start the calendar with Christ, the death of Christ. That's year zero. So um, pretty famous guy. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Pentecost is tomorrow. And so that would be 50 days from Passover. So the Shin talk we were having about the door and all that, it's 50 days from that kind of stuff. And then... Um, Oh, well, that was the last thing I had. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, there was one more thing. I watched Terminator Genesis. Salvation? Oh, Genesis. Skynet was originally named Genesis. Mm. It was the Internet of Things. And when it went online, it, it became like sentient AI and wiped out humanity with nuclear missiles and started creating like cyborgs and stuff. So, but it was originally created, uh, named Genesis hmm. before it became sky. So just, uh, you know, you know <laughs> don't make machines in the likeness of human minds quote yeah. from Dune. <laughs> I'm finished. All right. Excellent. PK last words. That's great. Then tomorrow is is uh, Pentecost. Yeah, how fitting, right? It was just a coincidence. I uh, checked the date when we were doing the stream and thought, well, wow, <laughs> what a how ironic we'd be talking about Babel. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Pentecost is tomorrow. That's so fitting. Well, thanks, thanks for having me again. Really enjoyed this, and um, you know, looking forward to to uh, to the next one and. Um, you know, maybe like you said, <clears throat> we won't do this quite as often. Um, might slow down a little bit for the uh summer. Yeah. But um, you know, just gotta get out there and uh get your feet wet. Enjoy <laughs> some summertime. Yeah. Put the Bible yeah. down for a little bit. Gotta get into the sun. But uh so but we'll I. be back to it. Oh, we're yeah, still going to be going absolutely. during the summer. We're just going to uh, do it a little bit less. Uh, I want to spend time mm -hmm. with my boy. Uh, he's only here for a couple months. And then, you know, uh, I know Nomad was talking about, you know, it's summertime in Hawaii for him. So he's like, yeah, let me out of here. Uh, uh, Friday nights, <laughs> I want to go do stuff, man. And so... I'm sure it's like right. that for you too in Florida. You're like, yeah, summertime sounds good right about now. So yeah. unwind our brains a little bit and uh, try to, you know, give ourselves a little uh, mind vacation and relax instead of trying to concentrate on podcasting and, you know, 
Just relax. Well, can I, can I give one more uh, doom thing? <laughs> Some uh, more fear porn from it. Joshua. Sorry. I love it. I can't help myself. I think it's what the purpose is on the surf. So um, what's the date for Judgment Day in Terminator? Do you know? I don't know. It's in the summer. No idea. Oh, it is. It's August 29th, 1997. So whenever you study the parable of the fig tree, we learn that figs ripen in uh, August and September. Uh, so Judgment Day and Terminator does occur in a fitting time for Judgment Day in the Bible. So anyway, <laughs> the, have fun with that. Whoever's the, listening. The lady that wrote... Um, Terminator also wrote uh, the Matrix, and she said that the mat or the Terminator was really? a prequel, prequel to the Matrix. Yeah, dude, they are kind of related. Now that you mentioned it, that's kind of <laughs> wild. Yeah, and Matrix is a word in the Bible. We've talked about that before. I think mm -hmm. so. Create it references the womb itself. The uh, female, the Holy of Holies with the veil. That's the hymen of the womb. Yeah, mm -hmm. dude, thanks so much. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's do some shout outs, uh, plugs and all that good stuff. And then we'll get, we'll get out of here. Uh, PK, go for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of ready. I mean, so I don't have any social media or YouTube channel, uh, yet, but, uh, once I do, I'll be sure to let everyone know. Um, mm -hmm. otherwise find me in the YouTube chats. I'm always there. I'm PK in uh in the youtube chats at lots of different channels and stuff have a presence and on telegram Excellent. so again thanks for having me yeah, yeah enjoyed it thanks for coming and hanging out with us we appreciate it it's always fun to chat with some different faces and you know when the other co-hosts call out we need more people man it's all i i think it's a lot better when you have a a, a variety of brains working on the same thing and uh different uh uh you know what is it called different points of view and whatnot so uh, i think it makes it a little bit more well-rounded um than a one-on-one -on -one. so thank you very much for coming uh, and hanging out with us again and you're, you're always welcome to come back with us dude no worries and uh joshua thanks it's been a long time since we've seen you man so it's good to uh talk to you and uh, that's why we probably talk so long tonight because man we've missed you and i know you had a lot to say we we covered probably three or four chapters while you were gone and last week it's funny you bring up pentecost because we talked about it a couple weeks ago in combination with the holocaust and we learned some interesting um things about holocaust and actually what it means in like the jewish tradition rather than like what it means in this new era of what it is used for as uh the term you know so isn't it like fiery destruction or something like that uh it's something oh, that yeah. actually moses or not moses uh noah did after after i think they uh yeah moses and his children and his their wives uh they did a holocaust and they burnt uh the bread or the the skin or the flesh of the animal what was it something to that effect it has to do with like the burning of um, burning and sacrificing animals and yeah. and the scent of them 
Um, and a certain number, the numbers were very specific. Yeah. Uh, at certain times, the times that they did these offerings were very specific. Yeah. Um, and if you think yeah, about it, barbecuing, when you're barbecuing for Memorial Day this weekend, you're doing the same thing. You're committing a Holocaust yep. with animals. And yep. so, you know, uh, God must like barbecuing or the smell <laughs> of it. I know it sounds stupid and weird, but I mean, that's what they were doing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. we yeah. kind of take for granted now. You know? I agree. Yeah. So when you're cooking those animals, at least pray <laughs> and be like, hey, man, thanks for this tasty creature. Always good um, things. So you can find me on Telegram. Uh, I hang out on the Weaving Spiders webs. We also have a chat for Solomon Report, which is the YouTube channel I've been sorely neglecting since I lost my partner. That not my like life partner, but like my uh, YouTube channel partner. She retired, so uh, I've been doing shows with other people right now. But I eventually. Um, I intend to kind of compile all the videos of them doing it, try to put them in one spot. So that's just a work in progress. I'll get around to it. And then maybe eventually I'll start doing Solomon report again. But um, for now, you can find me uh, sometimes on Wednesdays, weaving spiders, sometimes Saturday nights, weaving spiders and Friday nights here. Um, Hit me up in Telegram, Joshua the Branch, if you have any questions or you want to maybe do a show together on something. I'm also on Instagram as Appalachian Aesthetic. And I try to make myself available for whomever, uh, especially if you want a Bible study or pray or anything like that. So thank you all for sharing and uh, communion and fellowship. Sebastian Long. Thank you. Thank you. You can find me at Danny Naki Dan on Instagram and uh, Rising from the Ashes on Telegram and also Dan and Naki Dan on Telegram, but Rising from the Ashes chat. Um, if you want to pop in there, ask questions, you can find all that information on the Rising from the Ashes Instagram too. Uh, it'll give you a direct link to the Telegram chat room. So uh, thank you all for listening. And we hope you all have a good summer. Enjoy yourselves. Hope you've all been enjoying the shows. Uh, I'll put this one out in accordance with all the other ones that I have lined up out there. Uh, and just know that we will be coming back twice a month uh, instead of once a week uh, for the summertime. So enjoy the summer. Spend time with your family. Barbecue. Get some sun. Have fun. All right, everybody. Peace out. Thank you. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining. It's a celebration. Go and tell the nation. We're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting. I've been stuck in my ways, man. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining. It's a celebration. Go and tell the nation. We're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting. I've been stuck in my ways, man. I've been stuck in my ways. How many days before it's no longer a face? God keep giving me grace. I'm giving them thanks. I'm giving them praise. Giving them thanks. I'm giving them praise. 
I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face? God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face? God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks